Back by popular demand, it's the 2023 Motorsport 101 Award Show. And now, here's your host, Trey Harrison. Thank you, thank you, Woo! thank you. Glad you could join us. Good to see you. Are you here all week? Try the veal. Hey, everybody. I'm Trey Harrison. Welcome to episode 491 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. And welcome to the 8th annual Motorsport 101 Award Show, everybody. Sadly, uh, I haven't got a 10-minute monologue prepared to roast every celebrity in attendance. I'm not a piece of shit. Um, so uh, that's the good news. We could roast the Call of Duty developers. Th th that's always a fun one, but I wouldn't need 10 minutes to thoroughly eviscerate them. Christopher Judge proved that a few weeks ago. My man. Damn right. Uh, <laughs> in, indeed. But I'm uh, glad you could all join us for this eighth Motorsport 101 award show, reviewing the best, the worst, and everything in between in the world of motorsport over the last 12 months. And I'm not just talking about which content creators got shuffled on their jobs all year. But, uh, <laughs> hey, there's a joke. Is that, a, is that a fadeaway jump shot? For the for the golden cock at the buzzer, we have plenty of them already. Apparently, apparently the Detroit Pistons have been taking lessons. But uh, yes, welcome very much to the Emotsport One One Award Show. I'm Dre Harrison. Of course, we're joined by R.J. O'Connell and Cam Buckley for the next couple of hours to talk about all of the awards, all the best and the worst in motorsport this year, voted for by you, the wonderful Motorsport 101 audience. We'll get into a little bit more of the ins and outs, but first of all, some general housekeeping, first and foremost. Um, RJ, glad you could join us again for the for the 8th M101 award show. How's it going? Well, it's going good. You know, this, uh, this respiratory uh, virus that's been going around lately, I mean, that's... That's that's pretty brutal, and I mean, it's so brutal it even made Colin Calls flinch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you tell right. who I may have voted for some of the uh, the negative awards in this piece. Did, I have no it doesn't idea. Doesn't give it away at all. No, I, I couldn't put my finger on it. Also joining us is Cam Buckley. Hello, Cam. How's it going? Uh it's going. You know. Uh... <sighs> It's been it's been a time this December. Um, it has been a time of news. Uh, had we known what was going on behind the scenes with IndyCar, we might have had more Golden Cock nominees here. But ooh, things are not looking good over there. Unfortunately, I need you to wrap this up because we've got like seven different trailers to play right after this. And Shut that's up, what's Jeff. most important. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Very good. Um, First and foremost as well, from say Merry Christmas, everybody. It's our first show since since the holiday season kicked off. And I uh, just want to say happy holidays. Uh, we wish all of you a, a happy, healthy, wonderful 2024, because this is also our last podcast of 2023. Please, please, a healthy and happy 24. I got some French for Christmas. Oh. <laughs> you can't see it, but I just showed off a giant Lego set of the of the Peugeot 9X8, which I think is uh, very cool. Do not, do, do not touch that. While it's still in assembly, you may you may die. 
Oh, these award show laugh the screen is terrible. Um, also, uh, also on a slightly more serious note, sadly we're recording this one day after the very sad news to have the tragic passing of Jill the Ferran, which is just an absolute devastating bit of news. You only found out literally about. 20 hours ago at time of recording um 56 is no goddamn age whatsoever um tragically suffered a cardiac arrest yesterday what well, literally the fastest man on earth one of the great uh qualifying runs of all time uh, 241 mile an hour run around california um but not only a fantastic race car driver in whatever he took part in but also pretty much beloved by all who competed with him and against him the endorsements across the world of motorsport have been rich and plentiful which kind of goes to show you what kind of man he was um and uh, a genuine racing legend especially in north america and uh, just horrible horrible um news to hear that he passed away just yesterday and, it's uh, it's heartbreaking yeah. man i mean yeah. the ferrens accomplishments alone speak volumes it's not just the 241 mile an hour run at california speedway the fastest closed course run of any kind in any series anywhere in the world we also forget two-time national champion two-time car champion put penske back on track after some dark dark years and help restore that championship standard along with elio castroneves and in his last year in single seaters he got the chance to win the indianapolis 500 holding off castroneves to do it and even after back and head injuries kind of cut short his single-seater career, he still had a lot more to give at, in the world of sports car racing, both as a driver and as a team owner. Um, but really, the, le- the lasting legacy is that everybody who knew him knew that he was genuinely one of the kindest people in the sport. And it's a, it's a crushing loss for, for us. Yeah, fifty six is is no damn age, and uh, actually went the same way at the same age as Denny Holm. Horrible, you know, um, a horrendous coincidence. I mean, he was the person who gave, as you know, he gave Simon Pagano, who, if you are a longtime listener, is my boy of boys. He gave him his break in sports cars. Um, we got he got to win his last race in sales series. He got to win his last race in sports cars. Not that you'd know it. Because we were all focused on a different class battle. Yeah, uh, Jill Laferne won his last professional race handily in his class, and all anybody could talk about was the Flying Lizard Porsche and the it, Corvette. Well, you need to understand, RJ, murder, <laughs> murder is now legal in the state of California. Hey, that's someone else's joke. <laughs> and it's, but it does apply. Um, but you know, just thinking back, I mean. With how the rules are now and how the cars are, I do not believe that his name will ever be wiped from that record. 241.428. And in that sense, he is, he will live on forever. Absolutely. As well, the rest of his legacy. I mean, just an incredibly kind human being. Um, Everyone who knew him spoke incredibly highly of him. And we as a racing community are worse off in having lost him. Indeed. Rest in peace, Jill. We will miss you. So, 
Well, firstly, you can find us real quick before we get into the real nitty-gritty of the award show itself. We are on uh, Instagram, motorsport101pod. You can follow us um, on there. You've also got a website, motorsport101.com. You can check that out if you want written blogs. I might do a follow-up explaining my choices for all the awards this year as well in the next coming days. Also, I know a lot of people have asked me about this. This is very much coming. Um, in For future reference, on this very podcast feed, all written articles on Motorsport 101 will also have an accompanying audio track voiced by yours truly um in the near future they will also be on your podcast feed alongside them as a compliment as well um we put it to you guys on patreon you guys are all cool about it so thank you for that it's something that a lot of people have asked me about um in my time at wtf1 we were never able to um, implement it over there but it's something i can certainly do here um accessibility matters in 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 the realm in the realms of media and let's do it properly so m101 will be incorporating that in the very near future um probably in the next couple of weeks or so so do look out for that and of course if you really like us you can back us financially on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five bucks gets you early access to all of our content 10 bucks gets you into the supporters club of our discord server you listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded as a massive audience is doing so right now for the awards show special jason Kiara is already in there right now. Thank you very much for listening and chip in as well. If you want to shout out later on in the show, um, much appreciated as ever. And if you want to follow us on our, our personal uh, social media handles, we are on X at Dre Harrison 101 at RJ O'Connell and at C Buckley 917 motorsport underscore 101 for the podcast itself. Right. Without further ado, let's get into the first award on the eighth motorsport 101 award show right now. Okay, a quick pro- a reminder of how this process works. Back in July, we asked you, the Motorsport 101 community, to vote on your awards. By the end of November, we closed we closed up the ballots, and you sent in your selections for a bunch of awards, including the Race of the Year, the Golden Melon, and the Never Log Off Award. We'll get into all of those over the next couple of hours or so. We will read out the nominations. We, the esteemed panel, well, esteemed panel, the three of us, it's the nearest we're going to get to an esteemed panel, so we'll go with that. And between us, we will pick an overall winner. We do take your fan votes into account, especially in the case of disputes, but um, for some silly reason, they've given me the casting vote. Um, So uh, we, we will see how well that plays out over the next hour and a half. Oi, King. This wasn't in the contract. The contract got shredded some time ago, Cam. I'm glad you could join us. Damn it. <laughs> right. Ne- ne- next, ne- next time, get some plastic over the top of that contract so you can't tear it for a shredder. Um, right. It must for like 97% of your salary to be deferred. Yeah. It oh. is. The, the but I have stuff to hitting. buy now. <laughs> this is to make sure that Motorsport 101 is competitive for the next decade or so. Yeah, it works. It definitely works. Right. Our first award goes to the race of the year. Pretty self-explanatory on this one. Your favorite and best race of 2023 across all the series that we cover. The nominees are IndyCar at Texas. Very strong contender, if I do say so myself. MotoGP in the Thailand Grand Prix at Buriram. We also have the 24 Hours of Le Mans, 
And we have Formula One Singapore Grand Prix. Formula One Singapore was by far among the populace, uh, the most popular suggestion. And you can make the argument that even if Max Verstappen won this race, this still would have been one of the better races mm. uh, of the of the Formula One season. A Formula season that was characterized a lot by individual dominance. Very much so. If- yeah, it, it was the fan selection. I can understand why it's an F1 heavy media circus when it comes to Formula One. And it was, for me, the best F1 race we had all year. It's. I, I must admit, I'm actually astonished that Formula E at Cape Town didn't make the final ballot on this one, because I think that would have also considered deemed worthy of praise, because... Strange race. We got a great finish out of it, and it's likely to come up soon, but we also got some very, very strange goings-on before we got that incredible finish and that incredible overtake. Mm. Uh, Dre, why not tell us about IndyCar at Texas? Because the last time we talked about this, we almost got in a screaming match together. Yeah, because we talked about everything but how great the race was. It's funny how these things turn out. IndyCar produces a 10 out of 10 classic, and um, we spent half the time arguing about the state of the series and it came to fan standpoints. But make no mistake, um, Texas was an incredible race. It was non-stop ridiculous action from start to finish. It was a rare oval race where we had a lot of um, tactical drama as well, where a lot of cars were fuel saving. We had that late burst from Pato Award who tried to put a lap on the field and almost succeeded in doing so and in, in, in trying to break out from the pack. And of course, we had a classic late caution dash for the cash finish all the way to the end until David Malukas, and, uh, who was challenging for a podium finish, uh, tangled with Roman Grosjean and forced a finish under caution with just a lap and change to go, um, which you know, maybe not you know, proof that we can have a race of the year contender and have it finish under yellow. Hey, Formula One, are you listening? Are you listening? Just, just throwing yeah, that one out. car, are you listening? Yeah, yeah. Just a yellow flag finish is okay. No one's going to kill you for it. But yes, Texas. Um, that was put my personal pick on my ballot for race of the year. That was the only ten out of ten I gave out on Motorsport One Hundred and One reviews all year. So yeah, it says it all, really. Cam MotoGP at Buriram was also just. A, a cracking good event. There was not a lot of like great MotoGP racing they had, but Burry Rim was pretty good. Yeah, this was one of the few races where, you know, MotoGP, I think, went back to its previous standard of excellence of what the hell am I watching? As Pecco yeah. Bagnaia, Jorge Martin, and Brad Bender all broke out increasingly large steel chairs in a quest to hit one another over the head with them. Um, I think what the fi- final finishing order was muddled a bit by a final lap penalty Mm. but the largest margin between the three at the line was still 0.253 yeah an all-time more or less there it more or less sat there at that gap for the last you know half of the race as those three dueled practically around almost every corner of bury ram also bury ram is so good yeah, but it's, damn it, it's, it's a good track. It's one of the best MotoGP tracks on the calendar. It produces bangers consistently, and this was no different. Jorge Martin and Brad Binder beat the piss out of each other for the entire Grand Prix. Uh, I know we've been very critical of this era of MotoGP racing, but Buriram still produced 
the best MotoGP race of the year. It was better than Phillip Island, which is already high praise, given how much, how glowingly we talk of Phillip Island all year. This, this was is the one best of the few MotoGP 10 out of 10 races that I would give out on the year. Oh, yeah. Certainly the only 10 out of 10 that I would give to MotoGP in an otherwise pretty down year. But man, when three of the best in the world go to war for an entire race length, it is fun fun to watch let me staying with you and rj this one as well the 24 hours of le mans as well another this le mans i know le mans is usually a fantastic spectacle one of the greatest in all of motorsport but this year felt extra special this was extra special in a time where endurance racing was in the microscope because after many many years of prototype class racing at the highest level being in a down period after a massive recession we finally get the confluence of a unified set of technical regulations lama hypercar on one side imsa lmdh on the other they finally come together in the biggest possible way at the 24 hours of lama and the spotlight could not be any brighter and this race delivered five different factory manufacturers had a car leading race at some point Peugeot long long slagged off and for good reason suddenly found their way to the top in this race Cadillac and Porsche finally broke through in some regard and set themselves on a path to even greater improvements for 2024 and beyond and then it plays out the great battle between Toyota and Ferrari where Toyota Bless them, they tried. They tried, and if not for an accident that was not their fault on one of their cars, and hitting a squirrel which screwed up the balance of the car on the other side of the garage, they might very well have won their sit straight 24 hours of Le Mans, but it's Ferrari with the quickest car over straight line, finally able to unlock long-term pace out of this car. Alessandro Pierguidi gave James Pilato. You want to tell the class why they unlock long-term pace out of it? (laughs) Cam's that guy. What guy? That guy. That guy times 10. (laughs) Even Even if there was not this awesome battle in the top class, you also had Garage 56 at NASCAR being... By far, one of the most incredible and fun things across any discipline of motorsport, an underdog winner in LMP2 and under Europol competition, and a GTE war of attrition that gave us Corvette Racing's last win as a full-blown factory team in that race. It had everything. It delivered on all fronts. Now, I I can exclusively reveal that all three of us did choose different races for our overall nomination. I chose IndyCar at Texas. RJ chose Le Mans. Cam chose MotoGP at Buriram. Now, is there any uh, is uh, is anybody prepared to budge on their selection here? (laughs) Because Mm. I'll be real with you, I'm prepared to move on this. And look. I am, and I think I will tell you who to in a minute, but I want to say, first and foremost, these are all worthy winners, in my opinion. I think they were, I would I would not have complained of any of these three winning. I think MotoGP Ibrahim was an absolute classic in a down year. I think the, the shapes that Brad Binder was putting on that KTM in that race have to be seen to be believed, quite frankly. I think IndyCar in Texas was an incredible all-round race, and Pado Award and Joseph Newgarden beat the piss out of each other in that final stint. As 
close to the as close to wheel banging as you can get around an oval as in IndyCar. As close to wheel banging as I ever want to see in an IndyCar race. Right? Exactly, and and for me, the two best oval races in the world today going at a hundred a hundred and one percent of what was possible. But I'm going to change my selection and give the overall win to the Le Mans 24 hour race. Now I wrote about this earlier this year, um, and. Like I've never quite gotten the bug of endurance racing and sports car racing in general. I'll be the first person to admit that over my years of Motorsport 101. This Le Mans was special. It was wonderful. Everybody got their moment in the sun. It was an incredible race. Um, the attrition, the drama, the battle between Ferrari and Toyota, the personal battles at stake. Peugeot got their moment in the sun. They deserved to have a little moment. It turns out their car's brilliant in the wet. Who who, who knew? But um, no, it, it was just the little stories that came together, like I said, into Europol in LMP2. Garage 56 is, the, is, for me, everything great about motorsport in one neat little package. And I'm so glad they got to shine as well. Fun fact, one of the most watched shorts I made for WTF1 was describing Garage 56. And I'm glad it resonated with so many people because it was... The revival of T-Rats, if you know, you know. If you know. And it was wonderful to see. And just the overall spectacle. I was like, I got it. I watched about 20 hours out of that Le Mans 24 hours. And it was a wonderful wonderful race and it was everything for me great about the spirit of Le Mans and I, I got it I got the bug for the first time ever and I loved it and for that emotional tie the most for one one race of the year goes to the 24 hours of Le Mans 2023 Cam you got a sports car dub you're very welcome oh <laughs> uh, yes it was only the most contrived race of the year oh will you stop <laughs> But this once, is part of the this is part of the nature of BOP racing, okay? And I would make an argument. The, no, 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 no. Part of the nature of BOP racing is you set your regulations. You don't then burn the regulations down nine days before the race to say, actually, Toyota eats shit. And you know, what? Pro- here's, it, the, it here's the problem with that, though. And you cannot works. you cannot say that Toyota lost this race because of BOP after weeks upon months of saying that Toyota does not win all their races because of BOP. I'd argue that bringing tire warmers back for this race only was oh, more the, of a contributing factor. The elimination of tire warmers was a stupid idea anyway. Gentlemen, yeah, gentlemen, we're, not compl- gentlemen. We're, not compl- it- we're not complaining about that being a being ACO making up the rules is going along. Everybody gentlemen, agreed that was a good idea. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Gentlemen, I love that the one time we give sports car racing its full endorsement on this show is the one time Cam kicks up a stink. I think that's hilarious that we've come full circle here on this show. <laughs> I love my job sometimes. It's wonderful. <laughs> right. Uh, the next award is the Golden Melon for the best overtake. The Ross Chastain Memorial Award for the best overtake presented by our friend and yours, Scott McLaughlin, um, who's too busy now raising, and raising a cat. We love we love to see it. This the is moment. also the this is formerly the Scotty Award, by the way, but last year's yes. look. Yeah. <laughs> These things happen. Right. The nominees for the Golden Melon. Antonio Felix da Costa on Nick Cassidy for Formula E at Cape Town. The race win and overtake that got da Costa his last win in Formula E as we know it. Roman Grosjean versus Scott McLaughlin at Barber over in IndyCar lately this year. That was 
a pass with, shall we say, some extra emotional mustard. If you know, you know. Devlin DeFrancesco or Graham Rahal during the IndyCar Gallagher Grand Prix, the second Indy road course race in IndyCar this year, where Devlin DeFrancesco had his moment in the sun and passed four cars en route to turn one. What a time to be alive. You had to be there, honestly, really. And Fernando Alonso on Lewis Hamilton in Bahrain in Formula One, the opening round of the year where Fernando rolled back the years and sent it uh, on Lewis Hamilton in the game of old dirty bastards um, during the Bahrain Grand Prix. The two men with a combined age of almost 80 um, going to town on that one. Gentlemen, some initial thoughts on this one. Yeah, you both went with, uh, I'm amazed. I was the one that did not go with Fernando Alonso. I was the one that did not go with the homer pick this time. What did you go for? Because I don't think yours is on the list, funnily enough. Jeez, I I don't even remember. Jason, jog my memory, but there's not really a lot of, like, bad choices on this list. I mean... TK's lawn mowing, apparently. That's a great pick, to be fair. I'm stunned it didn't make it in. I thought that was... was, I think maybe a late reminder because it ended up going all over social media in, like, IndyCar's best of season reviews. But I I actually forgot at the time that Tony Kanaan went four wheels on the grass to pass McLaughlin at the 500, which is batshit insane yeah that's pretty nuts look it happens sometimes we can't all get our picks out of the ones that did make the cut of our finalists antonio felix acosta and nick cassidy cape town win that race i mean we were just talking about that screwy sequence of events that led to one of the great overtakes you'll see anywhere in professional motorsport this is a tough one. I mean, I went Fernando on, on Hamilton for, for a couple of reasons. One, the emotional moment of realizing the Aston Martin hype train was real. Like, like that, like that, they were the story of preseason testing, and there was that belief of. I remember reading it on the race when I first joined them as an overall entity and reading their power rankings and going, they had Aston Martin third, I believe, on that list, and I was like, is this real? Is it? Like, is this testing very, pace real? Very real. Uh, the murmurs were always there, but you were always thinking, hang on, this is this is the artists formerly known as Racing Point. They were seventh overall last year. Surely this can't be true. It was in the words of Kurt Angle, it was real, it was damn real. And and that pass that along I mean, you don't pass into turn ten. I would argue Turn 10 at Bahrain is maybe the toughest single corner on the entire F1 yeah. calendar. It's yeah, everything. Dude, like, you lock horrible. up into turn 10 because you've got the brake bias all wrong going into turn 10 at Bahrain. That's what yeah. we all do anyway. You're going uphill, suddenly downhill, the camber, the double A. Yeah, most of the time, you have it. a wheel off the ground. Yeah, it's You it's, have your it's inner horrible. front wheel off the ground. It is, yeah. you know, degree of difficulty. You just don't see passes into that, into that corner at any real era in F1. I mean, I thinking back to the first time we came here, I can't think of a pass that wasn't basically like front runner versus minnow lapping them going into that corner. No, and you probably get yelled at over the radio for doing that. And yet Fernando just knuckled down and sent it. And it was emblematic of everything right with Aston Martin, not that they would maintain it across the year, and everything wrong with Mercedes. The hype was real. That's when I think people realized, nope, this is real. Aston Martin have arrived. And uh, while maybe, that maybe didn't quite hold up for the whole season, it was certainly a, a, a moment where you go, holy shit, um, it's real, baby. Um, 
I have a feeling that if King were with us right now, that he would not want Devlin DeFrancesco winning this (laughs) award. If you know his history with Devlin and sim racing, you know, but (sighs) Devlin DeFrancesco has had a completely forgettable IndyCar career to this point. If this is the end of the road, and it likely is, he'll always have that turn one bonsai pass at the uh, at the summer race at Indianapolis. We don't talk about how it ended. We just think, wow, how'd he make it up this far? Speaking of talking about how it ended, let's not talk about how it ended until later for Romain Grosjean. Instead, let's talk about how it started because mm. he really started this Very year much. with all of the swagger, all of the speed. Hotter than fish grease, as you would say. Hotter than fish grease. And then Scott McLaughlin desperation breaks and just murders the man opening that round was of the a, year. St. Pete happens, but we get the rematch at Barber. We get the rematch at Barber. And Romain Grosjean, he put a little extra. He put a little sauce on this pass. He when, shoved this dude. He gave this man the get out of the way or we're having an accident. Yeah, went all the way around the outside of him, down the corkscrew, and stuck it on the inside afterwards. It was a wonderful, but also powerful, emotional, sort of symbolic move of just how far we thought Grosjean had come along as an IndyCar driver. And I said after Barber, he was the best driver in the series to that point to that, point in that year. He was excelling on every discipline, and we thought, hang on, this is the Grosjean we were all hoping he was going to be in IndyCar, and again, sadly, while it didn't turn out to be the case, he certainly made a very compelling argument, at least until the Indy 500 came around, that's for damn sure. And Um, remember, Barber Motorsports Park is notoriously perceived as a track where it is damn tough to overtake. Not easy. You got maybe one overtaking spot the whole track, and if you don't get it down down towards the spider's web, you're, not, you're probably not getting it at all. And, um, I'm telling well, you was that not the, the race that also, I mean, he got hosed on it with his push to pass failing. Correct. Yeah, yeah he had 100 yeah. seconds, and it went, and it suddenly went, and it made him a sitting duck. That was Grosjean's race to lose. He probably wins it if it wasn't for the fact that his, his push to pass packed in, it made him a sitting duck, and then McLaughlin could just pick his spot and, and took yeah. revenge that way. But that should for, have been that should have been the pass the first win to cement him in IndyCar and give him the first pass secure that contract with Andretti and instead well we'll talk about it later and I, I feel like the Costa deserves some, an honorable mention as well I don't think he's going to win it but that wasn't a wonderful race winning overtake at Cape Town first time around at that track and the cost just had an extra level of confidence that nobody else had down the back end of that track he'd already done that move once before earlier on in the race i want to say it was on dan tictum but on the final lap of the race to beat cassidy to go around to go the long way around that that back corner complex and win the race was an incredible ballsy over everything we love and associate about antonio felix da costa perfect it was it was it had to be it had to be if if it it wasn't if it wasn't it would have been an enormous accident indeed um four very worthy selections now me and cam both went for fernando alonso and lewis hamilton in bahrain i'm prepared to stay with that selection are you i'm staying as well Uh, for for degree of difficulty for the, the the symbolism of what it meant and just because it was too Old dirty bastards being dirty. 
going into a corner. I got to give it to that. Anyone who Golden knows me. Melon. What does it go on? Go Anyone on. Anyone who knows me knows that Fernando Alonso has been my guy Fernando for Alonso part of over 20 years. <laughs> you know what? Let's make it unanimous. The, there were no bad candidates on this one, but Fernando no. Alonso and Lewis Hamilton. Because let's face it, when is Formula One ever going to get a consideration for a Golden Melon Award? Never. <laughs> Uh, we've had a few good ones these last two years. These these regulations, no matter how much you might read on the socials, we do get some good passing here. Yeah, it, 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 it is what it is. Uh, but uh, a unanimous winner, Fernando Alonso or Lewis Hamilton in Bahrain, the golden melon winner for 2023. Now, this is the next award that I think is going to be very interesting. The most improved um, athlete award for the biggest step forward between seasons. And I think this is genuinely a tough, a very tough category this time around. So the nominees are representing Pramac Racing in MotoGP, Jorge Martin, the MotoGP 2023 championship runner up, the McLaren Formula One team, one of the most insane mid-season turnarounds you'll likely ever see um, on that one. Uh, representing VR46, Marco Bezzecchi for turning himself into a genuine title contender in MotoGP in 2023. And Yuki Tsunoda, the Alpha Tauri Formula One driver who genuinely seemed to take multiple steps forward this season. Gentlemen, where do we start on this one? Because I think this is a loaded category. <laughs> Uh, I think we can start right from the top with Jorge Martin. Jorge Martin had a, he would tell you himself, he had a pretty poor 2022. Mm. Um, on the full 2022 Ducati, that was just, well, a bit of an axe murderer. And up until the death this year, up until the final couple of races, he was a new man. Um, he could take the speed that we all knew he had, some of the highest raw speed in all of MotoGP, all of motorcycle racing, and actually turn it into results for damn once. In fact, he turned it into results a few times. The king of the sprint this year. Multiple mm. race wins. One of the few people to defeat Peko Banyaya in single combat. Yeah. Who's good. Big- Big steps forward, maybe not the ultimate ending that we would have wanted, but on any level, an incredible year of improvement. And I want to follow up on that one, Marco Bezzecchi. A reminder for those who, who missed out last year, Marco Bezzecchi was 14th in the MotoGP Championship in 2022. He was mid. He was why not Bez? Why not Bez? Uh, I broken mean, collarbone. Yes, yeah, why exactly? But I mean, even start, even so. He was Rookie of the Year last year, but it wasn't a, a stacked rookie group by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't think there was any real indication that Bez could have been what he was this year, where, where he had multiple pole positions, a sprint win, three Grand Prix wins on the year, and was pretty much locked into third in the championship battle throughout pretty much most of, the, of 2023. This is a guy that we I don't think any of us would have ever predicted would have been a title contender this year throughout most of the year. And when he won, he won well. All three of those wins he had at Le Mans, uh, in, in India, um, and in the rain in Argentina, he dominated. They they were convincing, beating. His Indian win was the biggest winning margin of any rider in 2023. Over eight seconds that, that day over, over Jorge Martin and Fabio Quattararo. When in a Bez, race that we weren't even thinking that like this race is even going to happen. He goes out and smokes the field. And 
some other factors. Bezeki, if you look throughout his MotoGP career, up in the intermediate and lightweight categories, an early man champion. He's always always been a nearly man. This year, I think he took a major step forward into looking like somebody who can give put in a serious title challenge. He did very well to go in as long as he he did. But with let's not forget. There are still the bones of what was the worst team in MotoGP for many, many years resting deep within the Moody VR46 garage. Indeed. Still, it's administration, and yes, it is the best bike in MotoGP, but he performed very, very admirably. It was last year's bike, though. Let's not forget, it was last year's uh, championship win in Ducati, not this year's. (laughs) Somehow in MotoGP, having last year's Ducati seems to be not too much of a handicap. Not really. Certainly um, not in the not like the days of the satellite. Let us set the stage here. The Papaya Boys. They came the into around. preseason testing looking like the biggest bag of dicks ever piled. It was looking bad, but it I always was, this car was horrible. The brakes didn't work. It was slow in a straight line. It was slow in the corners. It was slow everywhere. And if you look at the Wikipedia article for the MCL 60 and you go down to results, if you know Wikipedia and uh, racing results, there's a lot of blue, some green. And then Austria came around. We were, I think a lot of us were skeptical to think that that turn, we thought it was an aberration at first and then it kept going and it kept going and it kept going. And then I always felt when they were struggling, right? You're McLaren. You've got X amount of races left to figure this out because your reputation rests on it. The reputation of your drivers rests on it. And my God, they did. Yes, they had to throw away the entire concept of the car and start over again. They had to you throw away their, they had to burn down their entire technical department. James Key had to make his own way home from Saudi Arabia. You oh, no, no, no. He's still, he's still tied to an anvil dropped at the bottom of the NTC lake. You need to do what must be done, and they did it. Yeah, they yeah. They, uh, they were the sixth best team in Formula One through the first eight rounds. They were the second best team through the back 14. They were incredible. And let's be real, that, that sixth best was flattered quite a bit in the first six by the nonsense that was the 2023 Australian Grand Prix. 100%. They made off like thieves out of Australia. <laughs> to get the um, result they did. How many points in the first six races, Dre? The first eight races, they had 17 points. They had 285 in the back 14. Good Lord. I've never, I've never, I've been watching F1 for 20 plus years. I've never seen an in-season turnaround like that ever. The only thing that comes to yeah. mind from this Benetton in 2001, when Jensen Button was struggling to out-qualify minorities to start the year, and by the end, and by the time Renault bought in the team and rebranded his throne, Eh, he's fighting for solid points, but that was back then. This is now. I, I'm thinking like the, that, the 04 McLaren, which went from fringe points and blowing itself all the time to podiums and a win and blowing itself up all the time. Indeed. Um, um, and, and then uh, Yuki Sonoda. Um, yeah. that, that boy put in a shift this year. He really in, did. God knows he tried. A- Put in a put in a very difficult decision where Franz Doss said he's basically got to score points on the regular basis performer he's getting cut, and they give and him a then, card that's not capable of scoring points. Yes, um, 
the Alpha Tauri, was it the AT04? Yeah. If it's even worth being called a name from this the first sl- half of the year, this thing was, was a, a pile of junk. It was for the first three the first quarters half. of the year. Yeah. First, first uh, yeah, at least the first 60% of the season, it was cheeks, but they aggressively threw upgrades at it. And by the end of the year, it was challenging for top six finishes. It was genuinely up there by the end of the year. But you have to, like, remember, Yuki Sonoda was pulling, like, top tens and 11th place finishes out of his ass the first six rounds of the year. He, he, he tried finished, everything. He, he, he finished there. 10th or 11th in the first four races of the year. And it was often in a case of bad strategy, bad car, or both. Mm-hmm. Um, Alpha alongside... had no stability alongside because we know what happened with Nick DeVries that didn't work out. Daniel Ricardo comes in as a midseason replacement and he shatters his hand. So Liam Lawson has to get dropped in. He does well enough, then we drop Ricardo back in. He's the only stable thing in this team, and he was he was exceptional. Was he perfect? No, but he was the best version of Yuki Tsunoda we've ever seen. I so would definitely that, agree uh, with that. Okay. Um, so with that in but, mind, I, I, mm. I can reveal me and Cam both said Marco Bezzecchi on our ballots. So we have the majority here. Is there any movement from you on this one, Cam? <sighs> I'm really, really, really tempted to go with McLaren. I'm because really t- they were they were so bad to start the year. I mean, they came into the sport with legitimately one of the worst Formula One cars on the grid, perhaps equal worst with the Alpha Tauri, maybe in Bahrain. And in the second half, they were the only team capable of giving Red Bull a bloody nose. Arguably quicker in terms of raw pace, if not able to match the RB19's imperious tire wear. So, that is an insane in-season turnaround. I'm gonna it's an insane a- in-season turnaround, but the award is for the institution or person making the biggest step forward between seasons, not within the same season. And if I'm sticking oh, between with the seasons, they, the law, they actually got worse. It's between seasons, <laughs> but then in-season, they got way better. Well, That's so, why um, my vote's going to Yuki Sonoda. Because I know Ooh. my finalists did not make the cut, but Yuki Tsunoda, again, the best version of himself that we've ever seen, going from arguably saving his job to now he has a stable place and an opportunity to prove himself in a much better situation of whatever we're calling the team based out of Fianza next year. Ah, uh, yes, the uh, Minar Bulls Rosso Tari. Um, are you going to move your vote? Given RJ has clarified the rules, I don't think I could, I can in good conscience move my vote. But McLaren then gets the honorable mention. Indeed. Bez was so much better this year than he was last year. And I think a lot of that is VR46 overall, because I think he and Marini improved. They both took a big step. The team took Third a big the step. the team's title as well. Yeah. That it, for a team that was built on the bones of Avintia, that is an extraordinary achievement. But yeah, that, Marco Bezzecchi yeah. went from a guy who you would not expect whatsoever to be fighting for a title to a guy who looked like he was going to be the only challenger to Banyaya for maybe the first half of the year. Hashtag, why not, Bez? Dre, and, close us out. 
Yep, I, I, can't, I can't add much more than, than what's already been said. Um, nobody gave this man any sort of thought that he was going to be in the mix for 2023, and he was for three quarters of the season. That collarbone injury would always be a case of what could have been, but f given he was 14th and a fringe rookie of the year last year, to be a genuine top-end rider by the end of 2023 is an incredible achievement. Uh, most improved athlete of the year, Marco Bezzecchi, everybody. And uh, congratulations to him. Next up, the Antoine Hubert Award for the Rookie of the Year for rookies in their own respective series. Not to be confused with the Formula 2 Antoine Hubert Award. That's their Rookie of the Year. This is our Rookie of the Year, and it encompasses multiple championships. Indeed. Mm. And the nominees are, and I'm actually kind of gutted this person only got one nomination because it's a very worthy contender. David Alonso in Moto3, who was incredible this season to finish fourth in the championship standings, win multiple races as, as Moto3 Rookie of the Year. Liam Lawson for his five standing cameo appearances for AlphaTauri this year. Marcus Armstrong over in IndyCar. He's not just a podcaster. Turns out he's actually all right at the whole driving a car thing um, because we all know podcast are terrible people and i can exclusively reveal the most nominated single person ever on the motorsport 101 awards with 19 different individual nominations oscar piastri in formula one for mclaren this year a new record for the most nominated person ever on an m101 ballot and i think we kind of know where this is going but I want but Dre, to yeah, Dre, I, tell yeah. them, tell the good people about David Alonso. David Alonso became Colombia's first ever Grand Prix winner in MotoGP. We'll ignore the fact he was born in Spain, but you know, we'll, 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 he represents Colombia. We'll, we'll we'll go with that. But he was a rookie in he was a rookie for Gas Gas this year. He ever made two wild card appearances um, beforehand before coming into play uh, as a full time rider for Gas Gas this year. And he won four Grand Prix. He won four Grand Prix. He was second in three other in four others this year. He was a fringe title contender pretty much all the way through the back half of 2023. He 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 shot into play out of nowhere and finished up just 29 points off eventual champion Jal Messia. And look, Jal Messia and Ayumu Sasaki, who are great riders in their own right, are experienced veterans of their of Moto Three at this point. David Alonso was a rookie and pretty yeah. much a pure rookie by Moto3 standards. For him to be as good as he was all year, no one in a month of Sundays knew how good David Alonso was going to be. Incredible rookie season from the man and deserves more credit, in my opinion, for being as good as he was this year. Incredible season. I, 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 I got a feeling he's not going to win this but he deserves a lot of praise for doing so. Sensational rookie season from David Alonso. If, if he ups the floor, God help us all. He's a talent. Yeah. He's, it's worth pointing out as well, David Alonso is still only 17 years of age. He he's has a, got, he's got time. time. He, he, he is time a talent. Look out for him as Moto3 title favorite in 2024, almost certainly. Um, RJ, talk to us about Liam Lawson, because obviously it, it would be unfair not just mention his F1, um, of his obviously standard points, but also his, his season in Super Formula as well. And, and yeah, that's, that's actually why. I didn't nominate him because of his F1 cameo appearance, which was solid, but Liam Lawson stepped into Super Formula and did something that hadn't been done in 46 years. To win on your series debut and the last two people that had done that before him 
all had prior Formula One experience. Liam Lawson, yes, he did get the benefit of going into what was the strongest team at the time in Team Mugen. But remember, I always said at the top that his path, the toughest obstacle that he would face to trying to win the Super Formula Championship stood across from the garage from him in Tomoki Nojiri. And were it not for the fact that Nojiri missed a round with appendicitis, this could have been a much different championship conversation. But Lawson's rookie season was incredible. Three wins to tie the rookie record that was pre that was he now shares with Ralph Schumacher, who was pretty good in his own day. Maybe not as good as his brother, but on his day, he was still pretty good. Yeah, who was? Lawson was exceptional, and the fact that he came as close as he did, maybe didn't win it, it's not a proof that Lawson does is deserving of the hype, and it's also proof that Super Formula is not a farmer's league. It's not a league of the has-beens and never worse. No, no, no. Tomoki Nojiri is... is serious. Tomo Miyata is serious competition. They are great racing drivers in their own right. They are <laughs> yeah. great. We're going to see more of them in the near Absolutely. future as well, especially Miyata over in F2. Yeah, um, and, that, and yeah, Liam Lawson... Uh, uh, yeah, I was gonna say, that's, oh, that, that goes on top of five outstanding, standing weekends on emergencies notice for Alpha Tauri in Formula One. He came in, he scored and he points blogged. in a bus. Yeah, he, he came in and, and scored points and was competitive immediately. That is about as impressive as you could have possibly asked for from Liam Lawson yeah. in a in a no hope scenario. Uh, I say, unfortunately for Nick DeVries, now departed from Formula One, now installed into Toyota Hypercar. The, the justification to drop him was pretty much immediately ratified by Liam Lawson in his first race in the car. Yeah, Liam Lawson is a he serious racing driver. Yeah, they should have promoted. They promoted the wrong. They, they never needed to yes, look for Colton Herter. They never needed to promote Nick DeFries. The guy was there all along and he was ready to go. And that and it sucks he, that he's got to wait another year. Yeah, yeah he's not, they're now in a dilemma where he, they've got. Uh, maybe four drivers into one seat in one team and one two drivers into one in another. Um, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about Marcus Armstrong, who came over with Chip Ganassi racing this year in IndyCars. He's worth a mention. Look, what I will say about Marcus Armstrong is he walked into a Chip Ganassi environment, the the, the arguably the best team in IndyCar, uh, a season where Scott Dixon had an incredible season, Alex Polo had the incredible season, but Marcus Armstrong was a top 10 runner right out of the box in IndyCar. He was making round twos in, in, in fast 12s in qualifying regularly and was in the top 10. I still think he was set for a podium at Road America before Chip Ganassi put him off sequence, which was a horrible mistake given the way the course was played out. used him as a out. guinea pig and it um, worked for everyone else, but not for him. It's a shame because he, he was running leader's pace in Road America all the way through. He was running top seven um, in Portland as well before a botched pit stop. Marcus Armstrong is legit. Um, he's a bit of a wacky character, but the man can drive. No question yeah. about he, that. He won Rookie of the Year. I'll catch that in saying that his competition were fringe Indie Nets prospects who looked unready for this jump and Augustine Canapino, who had never driven single seaters for a living in his life before this year. It's not exactly the strongest field. I say Marcus Armstrong still has room for improvement, but there is a solid foundation that's better than anything that he had the chance to show in Formula 2. But 
I think we all know who's winning this award this year. It goes to uh, another driver who should have never had to wait for an opportunity to get to Formula One, who had probably the silliest way to force his hand into Formula One. And we all thought at the start of the year, especially, that he had made the wrong decision as to where to hitch his guilty. horse to make his Formula One debut. Guilty, guilty, but guilty. At the end of the season, it wasn't well, all perfect. It took about it took about uh, eight races. Yeah, it went okay. Oscar Piastri. As soon as the yeah, as soon as the upgrade package landed, we saw at Silverstone just how fast this dude really was. He was a te- within a tenth of Lando in qualifying and was running right with him right from the start. Like, uh, look, Lando Norris is an incredible racing driver. He is one of the top five fastest dudes in Formula One, in my humble opinion, right here and now. And Oscar Piastri, in terms of raw pace, is 99% of what Lando Norris is. That is astonishing for me, especially given... You just end it not- right there. Yeah, like especially given McLaren has tended to be a car killer. It almost killed Daniel Ricciardo's career in in in, in Formula One. It and killed no, Stoffel Van Dorn's career. It killed and, Kevin Magnus's potential to reach anything more than what he has achieved now. Yeah, well, and, it will look like to start this season like it wasn't going to be all that different because you go into the season and he, other than the the shit the aforementioned shit show in Australia. He's fringe points or no points. And then, after the upgrade package, he's throwing hands with Lando. Throwing hands with Lando. Like, like I, f- I think Qatar was probably the most shining example of that. He won the sprint race that day. He was. He is one than- of two individuals this season who beat a Red Bull over the line in something that is more than a lap and awards points. And look, there's a sprint guy. He was second in the sprint race in Belgium. He was he, he won the sprint in Qatar. He, you know, he he was up there in Japan as well. Um, yeah, there's a little bit to work on if you're comparing him to the very top names in Formula One. But in terms of the raw potential of a, an F1 rookie, which we don't get to see highlighted on this level very often. And if anything, we've been spoilt for that in the last half decade when it comes to the names that have come through in F1 in recent times. Piastri was exceptional. Um, there, like, there is a guy you could see with evidence right here as to what he could be, and what he could be is terrifying uh, in terms of what of what he can show. And this is a guy who had to sit on the bench for a year. Uh, he Which is crazy you know, you think that of- you think that two people on this list have won awards, and both of them. Were Alpine or Alpine affiliated, and neither of them are there anymore. Alpine Amazing. Academy, common success. Common success, and I, I think that's a perfect way of wrapping it up. The Anfon Hubert Award for Rookie of the Year goes to Oscar Piastri. <laughs> Who has now won both Antoine Hubert Awards, the Formula 2 Please one God, for the ship. Do not become F1 Jack Miller. Learn to manage your tires. And now it's time to reach for the tissue boxes because it's time for the floppy award for the year's biggest disappointment. And we've got a stacked crew here. The nominees are Aprilia in MotoGP for being better than Yamaha this year, but losing out to KTM. Uh, The Stellantis Formula E collective of DS Penske and Maserati for... Totally not being all of our preseason picks for the Formula E season and you having egg on our faces. Us. 
They catfished you us so they're us. so they catfished us so good. I'm still expecting Neve from the show to roll up in this Riverside studio while we're recording to ask if you can join on this Zoom call. It was that bad. Um the MoneyGram Has F1 team for finishing stone dead last in the F1 Constructors Championship. It's the hope that gets you. Um MoneyGram, I still love you. Um oh, and finally the Mercedes AMG Patronus F1 team for somehow finishing oh, second in the Constructors Championship. Um, this is a loaded category. Um, now, this is also interesting because all three of our picks did make the nominees list, but we all went for different selections. I went for the Haas F1 team, who and. This was probably more out of frustration. This is the team that sacked Mick Schumacher going into this season. I thought that was the wrong decision. I thought they sacked the wrong man. They brought in Nico Hulkenberg. And to be fair to Hulkenberg, man put in some work this year. God damn it, he tried with this Haas team. But I I picked them out of frustration for just years and years and years of promising the world, promising that the next upgrade package was going to be the one that would turn them around and get him back on the wagon and just this was the year where it just I've, I've, I've lost faith in this team uh, and I'm, I'm just fed up of Haas thinking that the next one will be the big one and they're just not working out. That's why I picked Haas as my overall disappointment for this year. James got something to say about Aprilia, I'm sure. No, 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 no. Well, before I get before I open up on them, Dre, what the hell were you doing? having expectations for Haas Formula One team. I like Haas. I like Gunther Steiner. Liking them does not justify this decision. I root for them. I want them to do well. If Haas is good, it's good. Get off the corporate payroll. I'm not on it anymore, and I'm still making this point. (laughs) You You were when the nominations went in. Disqualified. Isn't no, that I mean, not, not the point, were, though? Uh, Isn't is the point, though? I put them on the nominees list despite the fact I will still be paid by WTF1 and MoneyGram as big sponsors. What does that tell you? Uh, it tells you that this team is bad. They've been bad every year of their existence, bar their first one, which was good for a debut in 2018, where they were really good, but you could argue it could have been better when they were getting disqualified from races for having an illegal floor. Yeah. They're not as bad as they were in 2021, but they have because they just, can't be. Yeah, it's not possible be. to be worse they've than sta- they were in 21. They've stabilized to where they usually are, and this year was not good enough to be off the bottom of the bullhorn. But you know, at least there was like the the expectations were tempered. Not so this with car, the, the Haas Formula One team has never seen a set of Pirelli tires that they haven't wanted to melt. Indeed. Because DS Penske and Maserati had drive killer driver lineups. They had preseason pass testing pace for days. People that are more in tune with the sport of Formula E than we are most of the time were telling us they were they were trying to sell us a false bill of goods out of just like bad faith. They, they genuinely had we all believe that this this was going to be the package that it delivers. And what and did it give they us? Delivered, the uh, they delivered. They delivered. Yeah, I two mean, wins. Two, a lot of teams would take two wins on the season, but not when you're being hyped up for you know championship glory. And by the way, I think weren't both of those wins, John Eric Fern. 
No, Maxigun forgot one in Jakarta as well. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the right. Three After, wins, I want to say. I think I saw Maxi like a Gunther, short. who opened the season with six straight non-scoring finishes. This was this is tough. Didn't fifth, they pick him for the title? Fifth and sixth in the standings. And Edo Mortara yeah. was dreadful this year. Edo Mortara was one of the worst drivers in the sport for most of the year. Mm-hmm. Edo Mortara being a title contender multiple years. Um, when you wear the black and gold of DS, even if you're putting it on Jay Penske's team, there is an expectation that you are here not only to fight for wins, you are here to fight for championships. Mm-hmm. They were curb stomped. And let's not forget as well, everybody. it's worth pointing out as well, they cheated. They were going to stop. Yeah, they got cheated. Remember, they also brought in Stoffel Van Dorn, the the reigning champion, and he was mid this year. I just Price. what there was all this promise. They were so quick in preseason. Everyone, the P, the insiders, the people on the outside, all saying, "If you have this powertrain, you are guaranteed common success." The success uh, was not common. It was quite rare. The success yeah. was hearing insert cash or select payment type coming out of the scanner at the end of pit lane at one time. <laughs> Cam, talk, talk, talk to me about your pick, Aprilia. Um, well, copy and paste our entire section on them from our MotoGP season review here. Um, maybe cut it by like a minute or two and you basically have it. Um, this was the year where they made a, a radical change to the bike. Attempting to fight for du- fight for Ducati supremacy, and that supremacy never came. Mm. They were mid for most of the year. When they were fast, they were great. They won a couple of races. Maverick Vinales, for once, did not have a mental breakdown and actually looked like the promising, incredibly talented rider that we saw in the days when he was on Suzuki. And yes, they beat the Japanese bikes over the line, something they couldn't say about Yamaha last year. But when Yamaha and Honda are both in crisis, Um, that's not saying much when they were then handily then beaten over the line by KTM in the point standings. They just stayed still or lost out compared to last year when this was supposed to be the them stepping into the league with the big boys. Can we give a floppy award to a team that finished second in the World Constructors Championship? Well, when the expectation is championships, um... But then we could. Then we should give that. We should consider Ferrari for that as well, because their expectations. Oh, we should. We should, but they were not nominated here. Somehow, um, Mercedes had Mercedes finished second in the constructors, and you would never know it watching individual races this year because they had the second best car maybe three or four times. They were handily outperformed by one or two of their constructor customers. At multiple points this year, they had some intra-team fighting. George Russell was scrappy. And zero side pods has to be one of the worst innovations I've ever seen in my time watching Formula One. The losses will be huge. Don't need a wind tunnel to see that. With the engines frozen, the advantage, or rather the disadvantage, may be locked in for years. This is a tough call. This is a stacked award, man. This is a tough call. Now, again, full disclosure, 
I picked Haas. RJ picked Stellantis. Cam picked Aprilia. Is there any movement here? The people chose Mercedes. I feel confident in my picks. I feel confident in my picks versus like the people are choosing Mercedes. I feel confident that Stellantis based on expectations. You know, I may have to move my pick. You might. I think I may have to side. I think I think I may have to side with the people. You know, 2022 was supposed to be the zero side pod blip in the reign of terror that Mercedes had brought upon the world in the last nine years. And instead, they were actually worse by most metrics. Lewis Hamilton had another winless season. Mercedes as a whole had a winless season. That That hasn't happened since 2011. And not once did they look like legitimately challenging for a victory. Other than that one time where their car was illegal in USA. Um, I can't believe, you know what? This is a freeway tie. We've not budged. And generally speaking, I get cast in votes. I'm going to go with the people. I'm going to give it to the Mercedes AMG Patronus Formula One team because, and honestly, I was very tempted to say Stellantis. I was this close to changing my pick because it would have been funny on this show given how badly wrong we all were about them. (laughs) The Mercedes fan in our community has put in a chat, Mercedes has fucking won something. I don't think you want this. It's the first thing they've won all year, and it's actually the second year in a row they've won the Floppy Award, would you believe it? Um, well, it, it, well, you know, they're keeping some kind of championship streak going. Yeah, I will say shout out to Hazel, to Connor, and to Galarian Mike for the three people who nominated them that put them above it because the people won on this occasion and they deserve a shout out. So well done, the them. Power, power to the people. Babe, we got a Mercedes one, too. Yay! Woo! Oh my The next Lord. award is the Participation Cup. It's exactly what it says on the tin. It's the driver, rider, or team who was just there in 2023. The nominees are representing Hass F1 team, Kevin Magnuson, everybody. Um, representing IndyCar, Ed Carpenter Racing is on the nominees list. Also, Van Wall Racing team over in the WEC. Oh no. And... I got a bad feeling that they're going to win this award because the overwhelming favorite with 14 people's nominations, the Alfa Romeo F1 team stake, whatever the fuck we're going to call this team in 2024. Alfa Romeo. Hicks. Halber. Hicks. 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 Ferrari Audi. BMW Sauber Audi. There it is. People, people. I mean, Sasha has now bombed my house. This is going to be a quick one because I feel like there's not an awful lot to really say here because it's so blatantly yeah. Alfa Romeo, it's not even funny on this one. Kevin, Mag- I- I'm not going to say Kevin Madison because Kevin Magnussen wasn't just there. He was just bad this year. Yeah. And, and- I'd say that you, you missed the point of this award, folks. The <laughs> point of this award is that not that someone is bad because if we were going to get bad... Let me tell you, Van Wall, unanimous oh. across the world. But, oh, saving but. my vote, saving my thoughts. Oh, I, oh, I say, got like, thoughts too. I was like, no, let, let's get the big four out of the way. So let's go, RJ. Let's talk, talk to me about Van Wall. Hmm. Well, I got I, things to say. Well, I actually, 
I do see them later on this list, so I'm going to save it. But in terms of just like, if I'm just going off performance, they are just there to make up the numbers. And while I appreciate a good privateer effort, Sound move this ain't on. a good privateer effort. We can, we can do. Uh, we can do this better. This ain't a good privateer effort. Uh, uh, this uh, is one of those say. privateer efforts that makes you go, "Who let you in?" Well, I was going to say, like the real definition of this award would be Ed Carpenter Racing, who were just yeah. there for most of the season. Rena's VK has not kicked on as, as, as well as we thought we'd be. I know Vince uh, entirely uh, uh. on him. He <laughs> did do one notable thing this year. He fucked me on my Indy 500 pick. You're still mad about this, like nearly seven months later. I will later. never log off on this. <laughs> More on Other that Other than spearing Alex Pillow. Yeah, I mean, even the the normal, the fortress for this team that is the Indy 500. They were better than they were for most of the year, but they still weren't great. It's and probably- otherwise, yeah, otherwise, they were down fighting with the Foyts and... There's just not a like I look at this team and I am uninspired. Yeah. Connor Daly lost what would have been a lifetime gig, not because of performance, but because of petulance. They bring Ryan Hunter Ray back and he's a good veteran presence, a good locker room guy, but the results aren't there anymore. Ed Carpenter racing. Ed Carpenter has no longer been the oval master of this championship for over half a decade. This is not the team that Joseph Newgarden was dragging into championship contention like six or seven years ago. It's just not. They're just just kind of there. But that that feels very far removed uh, from this modern era. Alfa Romeo, Sauber, Kick, Stake, BMW, whatever you want to call it. Um, Just there. They 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 weren't even particularly terrible. (sighs) No, they weren't. They were just always like in the middle of the non-point scoring positions. Both drivers averaged a 14th on the year. Mm -hmm. There were oftentimes they were better than Haas or Alpha Tauri or even McLaren to start the year. But when they did score points, it was fringe points, and they didn't score points often because for most races, they were just sitting in the middle of a DRS train. How many races did Valtteri Bottas have a mediocre qualifying performance? Or that may be the best part of Valtteri Bottas's game. That's still outperforming Joe alongside him. And then he runs over debris and has floor damage and limps home to like 17th. I genuinely don't know how good either of these dudes are right now because we've seen two seasons of Zhou Guan Yu. He's been steady but not impressive, but how much of that is the car and how much is him? Valtteri Botas, is he washed yet or is it just Valtteri Notas, I think that sums up his year. It's just there. He's, 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 still a, he's, he's still a fine qualifier. And to be fair to Valtteri, how many times was his floor damaged on the opening lap of a Grand Prix this year? At least three, as far as I can remember. Um, but it, but in any case, and yes, they are winning this award because there's no way I'm budging on this one. Yeah. Um, like We'll, we'll yep. get to Van Wall later, I promise. Um, Alfa oh, Romeo are just... There's like... Okay, Audi is coming in two years' time, but looking at them right here and right now, there is nothing... That about this team that leaps off the page is to, is to give me optimism or hope or even like oh this team's going to sink to the bottom because they're not that either they're just sort of just there their experience and their and 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 their 
demeanor is just we're here to make up the numbers right now and audi can't come soon enough as far as i'm concerned so the winners of the participation cup the alfa romeo f1 team stage should we be clapping or booing Dick, Audi, um, Valtteri Botas, Calendar, whatever we're calling Howdy. them, Team Henweil. Um, now for something more uplifting, the Team of the Year. Um, I think we know where this is going, but um, again, Team of the Year, <laughs> the best team of 2023. Um, there is a little bit of a fight, and we'll get into the nominees. The nominees are Toyota Gazoo Racing for winning every WEC race that mattered this year, except for the big one. Um... <laughs> We have McLaren for their in-season turnaround in Formula 1. We have Chip Ganassi Racing, who had one and two in the IndyCar series in 2023. And Oracle Red Bull Racing, who had 18 people's nominations this year. Almost a new record. One less than Oscar Piastri, but still a dominant vote from the people in regards to... genuinely surprised that Ducati didn't make the list they should the do. factory ducati team only had half a team this, this is the true. team we're talking about the I mean, pramac yeah, team I'm, won the team's title i mean yeah, yeah i'm, I'm also just thinking like on the way there i'm more just thinking like ducati is an entire enterprise i mean if you take like all the satellites and the factory team together like that is the unstoppable force of bobo yeah but if we do that with red bull then oh man if we're lumping alpha tauri in here that that sinks their average uh, quite badly um mm. i guess we can start off i actually I, I think toyota you need to talk about more than just wec toyota had a banner year in motorsport they other than lamar with aforementioned BOP change nine days before the race, they utterly destroyed the WEC. They utterly destroyed the WRC. They supported the champion in Super Formula. They supported the champions in GT500. And GT300. And GT300. They supported they sh- the, the champions in the IMSA GTD Pro category with a six-year-old car. With a six-year-old car that somehow was still doing its thing. And just about the only thing Toyota didn't run roughshod over this year, besides the 24 hours proper, was NASCAR. Yeah, they tried. Where wow. it, was a four, it was a Ford washout. And, well, the less we talk about that truck finale, the better. Yeah. Um so yeah, beyond just WEC, Toyota as a factory enterprise had a banner year across five or six different series. Yeah, and we talked we, a little bit, and we talked about McLaren too. But Chip yeah, Ganassi Racing, Chip Ganassi Racing. I mean, uh, like Scott Dixon had another incredible year in IndyCar. Only it was he, got, he was beaten he by, 80, blown off. by eighty plus points by one of the greatest IndyCar seasons ever assembled. Chip Ganassi. Like, okay, maybe they didn't dominate in terms of sheer number of wins, but when it comes to title presence, those two set the table and ate their own dinner compared to the rest of the field. Team Penske is the name we often associate with winning IndyCar races. Team Penske, yes, won the one big race that mattered on the year. And yes, Joseph had had you know a bunch of oval wins. But when it comes to title contention, it was Polo, 
pretty much from start to finish all year. They had the rookie of the year in, in Marcus Armstrong. Dixon was once again incredible. And Marcus Erickson was still his usual solid self and probably should have won the 500 in, in the eyes of so many people about how that finish played out. Like, I would say that the only weak link was a Takuma Sato who's now in the sunset of his career running a part-time schedule. And even then, he was still quick at times. And let's not forget as well, like, the problem with Chukanasi's uh, first foray, like this foray with Cadillac in GTP, it's not because they weren't quick. It's no. because um. a gold and black Cadillac found multiple ways to lose and retire lose. in humiliating fashion. Lose. Lose as in lose most of its bodywork and corners on multiple occasions. That car is cursed. <laughs> um, and yeah, Chip Ganassi ran the damn field over pretty much across the entire year in IndyCar. Should have had a better year in IMSA than they did. Yeah. Um, in WEC, I would say. Solid. Whole, I don't know if I'd go solid. Given the reliability oh. issues in at Le Mans, and, just, and then just peaks and valley, not many peaks, not many valleys. A couple valleys near the end. Yeah. Um, oh, but ooh. I feel like there is a strong, there is a heavy, overwhelming favorite. There is yeah, a heavy Oracle, Red Bull Racing Honda. Um. I will sum it up in the simplest terms I can. The greatest statistical season in the history of the Formula One World Championship in both championships. 21 wins on the year, 19 of them from Max Verstappen. They outscored Ferrari and Mercedes put together in the Constructors' Championship this season. They're two long-term arch-rivals and ground them into garlic salt. It was that kind of dominance all year long from Red Bull. And, and, and they're, they're, I'm sorry. As much as I, I, I want to try and play this up because Toyota were incredible across motorsport this year, there is no getting around it. Honda, uh, Honda and Red Bull produced the greatest F1 season ever seen likely we will ever see ever again and cam is it fair to say you're not budging because you picked them and i picked them as well uh, absolutely not this team i mean it was the the despair of you've seen the nukes launched you're just waiting for them to hit when they rolled the rb19 off the truck in preseason testing the season was over before the car had even turned a wheel in anger we're all and looking then, like a combination of that oppenheimer meme and that kurt angle meme and yes you kids kurt angle used to be a professional wrestler before he was that funny old man in the meme yes and for the third year in a row red bull racing wins the team of the year um just absolutely dominating the field in the, in the greatest fashion they have yet um, as Kiara Cotrider puts in the chat, fifth year in a row they won the, the DHL pit stop award for the for, for the yeah. best crew as well. It's not just the drivers; it's not it's just every the car. component of this team. It's, it's operational excellence, unlike we anything we've ever seen in Formula One. They are them. They are the benchmark. They are the standard. And uh, for the third year in a row, Red Bull Racing wins the team of the year. Right. Next award is one of our favorites on this show. It's the Beat'em Down Award. Beat'em Down! 
for the single most impressive thing on two or four wheels you watched over the course of 2023 and the nominees are and believe it or not one man makes this list twice um alex polo in the streets of toronto for his second place finish there we'll get into some of the context behind that in a moment um the red bull rb19 um for, for quite possibly the greatest f1 car we've ever seen we've also got alex Pelot's summer of alex as i like to call it where he won three out of four and arguably was the best runner at the 500 and maybe should have been in contention for that too sorry cam um alex Pelot's summer streak and we've put it in an overall group of maximum verstappen in in regards to verstappen and arguably the greatest single f1 season ever seen if there's um, one thing year. I don't like about how this award shook out is that it basically gives away our driver of the year nomination and just distills oh, it down to, to the to the <laughs> two could, overwhelming possibly favorites. be. <laughs> um, and you can more or less lump two of these together with the Red Bull and Verstappen because you cannot separate them. Um, no, um, let's, let's talk about Alex Polo a little bit first. I mean, we'll, 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 we'll do this one quickly because yeah. we've got to talk about him in the spoiler alert. Yes, yeah. they're in the driver of the year nominations as well. I mean, for wow, me, what a surprise. I know for, for me personally, um, I, I mean, I picked Alex Polo for, specifically for Toronto because arguably, yes, the man won five IndyCar races this year, but I, the I, I'd argue thing he did. I'd argue his greatest performance was in Toronto. He was he was nudged and put in the wall by Carl Kirkwood in the middle of that race due to a safety mm. car that damaged his front wing. The team elected not to to put him to the back of the field and put a new front wing on the car. He kept going. the The front wing was bent like a motherfucker. If he was in Formula One, it would have been meatballed without question, given how probably F1 still at the car. should have been meatballed. I if agree. that falls off, he's going straight on into the wall because that thing's folding under the car. Yeah, it's it was bent a good three or four inches off of kilter easily. He kept going and he was still the second fastest man on track. He was only beaten by a rampant Christian Lungard um, on the day who, by the way, was incredible in that race. Holy shit, Christian Lungard arrived this year. Stunley didn't make the most improved driver award, but basically we already thought he was really good. But Alex Pelot... I mean, yes, in a year of ridiculous driving by IndyCar standards, that, for me, topped the lot. Alex Polo was him all year long in 2023, but for me... It was was a summer performance. It was was four out of five races, the the, the Indy Grand Prix in the spring, Detroit from pole in a race that was turning out to be a shit show early on, and he rose above... He wanted Road America. He wanted Road in Mid-Ohio. I mean, you don't see dominance like that in a series that, let's not forget, is a spec category. Really, the only thing of note you change is the dampers. I'm giving away some of the script here, but that summer streak was incredible. I'm angry. I'm very angry that there is not a individual drive of the year award on this show. Which is kind of what this was, but we kind of grouped them all together because we had so many similar names pump up here. (laughs) Because that... While saving fuel with a shattered front wing, still faster than everyone but Christian Lungard, that should not be possible. No, it's impossible. By all accounts. It was impossibly great. 
However, what happens when you take the 2022 Red Bull, you adjust the floor edge, you take about 20 kilos of weight out of it, and you install Max Verstappen? Quite The end of the, all things. Yeah, quite possibly the greatest F1 car we've ever seen. In, in this regard, between RB19 and Max Verstappen, I got to side with Maximum Verstappen because this was a common point of you discourse. You can't separate them. Sergio really, Perez, the, these when two, you, saw you have Sergio to kind Perez of lump them together. In that car, <laughs> you get somebody who everybody agrees, or most of us will agree, had the saddest runner-up season in Formula 1 history. He's what does good. that say he about the car that he drove like th- that awful and he still finished second in the championship? What does it good say Lord. about Max Verstappen that he comprehensively outperformed him? He's mm. different gravy. <laughs> he is. Is he even gravy? <laughs> he, I don't think entire, we can perceive the, the substance he is. <laughs> Max Verstappen rewrote every record there was to rewrite. Yeah. The the amount of records that he he broke across the course of the year could fill an entire page of A4. It was terrifying. It took me 10 minutes to rattle them all off um, when we talked about it at the end of the year podcast. Look, I picked Alex Polo in Toronto. Cam chose the RB19 in general. RJ went in the maximum Verstappen group. I'm prepared to move mine over and and just give it to Max Verstappen. We, I think we should smash, split the award in half, stick, hand half of it to Max, stick half of it like in the front wing of the car. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you really Max would probably agree and share it, but we have to give it to Maximum Verstappen in yeah. here, surely. Can I also have to. He, one per drive that like also that just missed our cut? Shane sure. Van Gisbergen at the NASCAR Chicago Street yes. Race on his Very debut. impressive. Very impressive. I'm, I'm we need we need an individual drive of the year. We need an individual yeah. drive of the year award because it is I'll, a crime will, that that and yeah, we'll, um, we'll, we'll and, and Alex Pillow definitely that, um, that and Alex Pillow in Toronto not getting awarded anything out of this is criminal because two all time great drives. Indeed, um, indeed. Um, we'll, we'll have to tweak this award for next year, certainly. But for now, Maximum Verstappen in wins the beat him down award of excellence for 2023. Um, down! Now it's time to talk about series of the year. Again, pretty self-explanatory. Our favorite racing series of 2023, and the nominees are Super Formula for a freeway title fight that went all the way down to the wire in the end. MotoGP for reasons. I'm not sure which, but when we find out, I'll let you know. Uh, NASCAR. Who who voted for that? (laughs) Uh, NASCAR makes the short list as well this year for a thrilling, genuinely good all-round season and multiple contenders, obviously, at the end, but a genuinely good all-round season for NASCAR. Um, And IndyCar also makes the final battle, and that was the most picked by the fans this year. IndyCar also, generally speaking, just good overall quality of racing, generally makes the nomination list almost every year, and this year was no different. So, gents, how do we feel about this one? Before I talk about my nomination, could I also make a case for MotoGP? Is like, yeah, it was not vintage, but 
of it was one manufacturer monopoly and it's only going to get worse next year when you consider who's joining that fleet i don't yes. i don't think that's a reason i don't think that's a reason but, to disqualify moto gp but, R- uh, RJ, but hang on. Of, RJ. Now, hold on i don't think that's a reason to disqualify moto oh, i'm not i'm not i'm not saying that at all in fact i'm saying that yeah. like of the of the ducati the ducati fleet was very competitive it was, but it was very competitive in a series of very pro- processional races where nobody could pass. We had the controversy of the tire pressure situation that's only going to get worse as Michelin continues to supply tires that are not fit for purpose and not allowed to be fit for purpose because they can't test. And also we had very, very big concerns about the sport at large in which the sport basically told all of the riders to shut up and ride. Often ride. at the cost of their own health. Very often at the cost of their own health. I can't hmm. in good faith say MotoGP. And look, I openly Neither voted I. for NASCAR. I'll make no I'll make no no bones about that. I felt of all this like there were major issues I had with every series that I what we cover here normally on this show. Formula yep. One, it was a drab affair for most of the year. And of course, Verstappen dominating is a detriment to our entertainment factor. That's just that's just the nature of sports sometimes. Uh, MotoGP for all the mentions that all the reasons that Cam just mentioned. IndyCar well, uh, was close to getting my nod this year. Of all the four wheeled series we cover in general, um, IndyCar was probably the least problematic. I was tempted to go Formula E as well because I think Formula E generally had a good season for the most part, but a bit of a drab ending, and that which probably didn't help yeah, either. The trouble it, is, it that- was a it was a divisive season. Yeah. I say for I FE. If you liked it, you really good. liked it. I think it's a season where if you liked it, you really liked it, and if you didn't, you really didn't. I think that Formula E is at a very it's at a very critical juncture in what it wants to be because the races that we saw were devolving into races where the energy management was just too much and it was making the racing artificial. IndyCar was generally exciting. But I'm talking about it for sure. If exciting racing alone was enough to sell tickets, Itamitsu MX5 Cup would be the most popular form of motorsport by a landslide. Any car outside the 500, we all talked about. And not even bringing that up, like a lot of the decisions for race control were messy. A lot of the driving standards on a lot of races were messy. Yeah, that's I would I would hazard to say IndyCar had some of the worst driving standards of any major series this year. And that Agreed. is a failing not only on the drivers, that's a that is a failing on the series itself or failing to police it. Because I would also say the same of IMSA, another series that I covered regularly. Sometimes the driving was messy. And I would say this, I don't even think Super GT had a vintage year because a lot of its races were marred by stoppages. Some of it do the weather and some of them just terrible accidents that really blighted a lot of the series. So out of my back, Super Formula was fantastic. Super, Super Formula was everything you could ever want out of a Formula series. We had phenomenal action across multiple races, regardless of track layout, regardless of track type. And we had a three-way title battle that was just the most vicious, hard-fought affair. Yeah, like it got testy 
when Lawson tried that yield or crash move around the outside of Mertagi and kicked off a <coughs> massive pileup. But in the end, they almost still came back and won it anyway. I want to also talk about, you know, Rio Hirakawa being steady. Didn't win a race, but, you know, was steady, and he's going to be a massive loss to that paddock. Kakanoji, you know, it's uh, from Dandelion Racing, put in one of the great second-half surges to win the last race of the season. Toshiki Oyu at an underfunded TGM Grand Prix, paying for his own ride while still being a Honda employee. Figure that out when you will. He wasn't always... He was shaky, but, man, that dude is quick. It was a very good first year for the Dallara SF23. And yeah, the title fight. I was going to say, the introduction of a new car is always a little bit questionable. I think the SF23 acquitted itself very, very well. Okay. Weirdly. Any movement We must turn. Hmm. No, because we didn't talk about it. We Hmm. must turn to NASCAR. Now, Hmm. NASCAR Cup. Because I swear to God, the truck series needs to be folded and sent off to a remote location at this point. Yeah, mm. That was not good. I debated putting that for my golden cock, but the NASCAR Cup Series. In this, our second year with the Gen 7, the formerly next-gen, now-current-gen Cup car, mm. the short tracks still are a problem. The experimentations with the format don't always work, and this championship format, although I am a huge Ryan Blaney fan, crowns the most illegitimate of champions. Yeah, that's but damn it. On track, it was good for most of this year. The on track action was good. It's just what stopped they, me from nominating it. It was just the fact that, yeah, the the playoff system is contrived. We talked about it many times. You don't need us to explain it because other people more in tune have said this is creating game seven moments every time, which means you have no game seven moments. Indeed. Correct. And that isn't that is an issue. But Gentlemen, Ugh. we've talked about them all. Is there any movement from anybody on this? I'm pretty confident in my pick, but I realize I'm, I'm literally a man alone on an island. <laughs> you know, are we picking the best of a bad bunch here between all the problems? Besides a Super Formula, bit. which is a small but absolute good. Your choice, Cam. Ugh. I might have to. I'm I'm gonna have to cross the aisle. I'm gonna have to say Super Formula for that title fight. Wow. Which means, because two out of the three of us picked it, your series of the year goes to Super Formula. Everybody. (laughs) That is a that is a big W for you know. We talked about it. It's another national single seater championship with Dallara spec chassis that is often dwarfed in popularity by a silhouette racing series in its same market. Indeed. Well, well, le- well when Honda announces that they want to leave Super Formula, then we start to worry. Uh, now, we'll get to some of the fun stuff here. The next one is the Never Log Off Award for the best meme or anything funny that took place over the course of motorsport this year. The nominees are Alicia Spargaro's Gladiator line after the first sprint race of MotoGP in Portimao. The line quotes, 
my favorite movie is Gladiator. Do you think they wanted to be there? Um, <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, good. Uh, uh, that, was, that, that was my pick, by the way. Uh, Cam's pick, Eduardo Freitas' explanation of red flags during the Le Mans 24-hour weekend. Quote, since some drivers don't know the difference between right and left, the best solution is a red flag. That actually <laughs> practice. RJ O'Connell's pick of uh, Justin Taylor uh, during uh, Wex eight hours of Bahrain, where after a, a teammate fight between the two Ferraris, he goes, quote, he has no manners, the number 51 car. Uh, <laughs> which I think is very funny. And Max and Sasha in the people's pick of motorsport Twitter in general uh, for their continued existence. Always a funny. Classic. A Every year, they are in the trenches, making the plays, making sure they are there for this award. Uh, see, it's the thing, right? I don't think this needs a lot of extra explanation because you've already just explained all of them anyway. But I will say, I'm prepared to move my point. Uh, I'm prepared to move my pick. You um, are. I am. And if there's any other objections, feel free to voice your comments. I'm going to give it to Cam Buckley. I'm going to I, move I, I, my I, pick know, that is... across. I, I think I wanted to give... Ferrari engineer Justin Taylor some love strategically because I knew what Cam was going to select and it would have been my pick. I wanted to spice it up for the sake of entertainment. Also, Justin Taylor, can we shout out the career upgrade to go from AJ Foyt Racing and IndyCar to Ferrari, of course, and WEC? But sure. That is the biggest upgrade, upgrade that anyone has ever made. That's going from an original... That, that's going from a TI-82 to an iPhone 15. Eduardo Freitas... The problem was not that he was not strong enough to be a race director in Formula One. Eduardo Freitas told me off the record that, like, I guess no, on the record, that, like, the best thing that came of that Formula One stint was that it could put him one step closer to a well earned retirement. Good. And good for him. But (laughs) that man is too good for Formula One, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Maybe my favorite quote, my favorite race control quote ever. (laughs) because <laughs> you can apply race director you you can apply that to any racing series on earth and it's funny oh yeah it's, so it's just good. it's just a universally brilliant phrase that we've all thought of in some capacity or some degree over the course of the year so without any question the never log off award goes to eduardo freitas because after all since some drivers don't know the difference between right and left the best solution is a red flag <laughs> shout out also to the dunning kruger effect quote from alain pross which i'm surprised i'm didn't amazed get no one voted for it <laughs> that I was, was my other quote i was to gonna go in. for I was, that was my I, other one i was I gonna go for it. actually not that one not that one. it was gonna be the otmar quote the uh according according nine, to jason it, lo- it, it lost on a tie break it, it, it very nearly made it in. It was unlucky it didn't, but uh, I don't think it would have beaten Eduardo Freitas, in my opinion, because that was a gold quote right there from from mm. Wex legendary race director Eduardo Freitas. Congrats to him on the Never Log Off Award. The next award is the Secret Base, because we're big fans of them. Collapse Award for the biggest downfall or own goal on 2023. And there again, see how funny it is that we that we give out this award in a year where we have had a Secret Base alum as a guest. 
I know we had Ryan Nanny on this show and he was glorious. Um, go back and listen to our you, Bahrain Ryan. Race review on that one. Well done, RJ O'Connell, for, 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 for pulling that one together. And I then need to get more guests on the show. We do. Um, our nominees for the Secret Base Collapse Award goes to Mayor Shank Racing for um, everything everything to do with 2023 in general but most specifically their daytona 24 cheating uh aston martin's second half of 2023 uh for a rough back end of the year for the little team who could from silverstone romain grosjean who went from the holland fish grease star of the start of the indycar in 2023 and to eventually losing his job and suing andretti altogether and Japanese bikes in MotoGP for everything that went wrong as Honda and Yamaha went from the top to the bottom of MotoGP's constructive standings in 2023. Yeah, Tough crowd, this one, boys. Fire <laughs> um, oh, Shank uh, Racing, just on the IndyCar uh, side. Oh, they went God. from the team that had the killer lineup for the Indianapolis 500 to... Okay, Elio Castroneves, we know we were not expecting him to come back full-time and compete for that missing championship. That's a given. But it was still sad to see him peter out. Simon Pagano's disappointing 2023 was already getting off, and then it ended through no fault of his own, and we sure hope he can get back in the cockpit. You plug in guys like Tom Blumquist, Linus Lundquist, Connor Daly, and Lundquist. Linus Lundquist is so good that he there gets a good flashes. answer. Right? But there's flashes, but like it doesn't inspire a lot of hope. They are ugh, no, rough. and then you get to you know they came off a championship year in IMSA in 2022 ending the dpi era going into the gtp era yeah and we'll get we'll speak more on it but the ill the year games, the year ended with their car being loaded after petit lama straight into wrtr andretti's hauler yes yes because honda burned that bridge to the ground as a result of aforementioned cheating took their support, and now they have no presence in sports cars. They have effectively been locked out of IMSA as a result. I hope it was worth it. Indeed. Um, oh, and by the way, it's not that they got caught. It's that Honda told IMSA that they were cheating. Yeah, They got ratted Honda, out by their own supplier. Honda came clean, exactly. Um, we'll talk a little about Aston Martin's back half of the year. I mean, Ast- Aston Martin started the season brilliantly. Fernando Alonso was almost a lock for best driver of the year that wasn't Max Verstappen. But then Aston Martin just seemingly lost and didn't know how to make their fast car any quicker. The field caught up and they went from potentially fighting for second to ended up finishing fifth. Now, don't get me wrong. This is still a very, very good year for Aston Martin and still a massive improvement on where they were at the start of the year. But there'll always be an element of what could have been with this team if they'd have known what they were up against and how and how their car ultimately underperformed. Um, I think they, they could have had so much more in what ended up being a good season, but probably ultimately not a great one. Weird uh, that an enormous case of what could have been. And the other aspect to that, Dre, is that they probably could have still nipped McLaren in the win- World Constructors were it for the fact that uh, they had one driver for most of the season. 
because Lance Stroll went from the questionable guy who's still probably good enough to be here to the guy where you ask, well, how long is your dad going to keep supporting your dream if you perform like this? How long are you? How long are you invested in this? And it's crazy because, like, it was questioned at, out of pocket a number of times. Like, we don't—he mm. well, deserves I, I, to be criticized, but we don't know how to do it. Well, and I wouldn't question his commitment, given he drove with broken wrists to start the year yeah. and put in one of his best performance with broken wrists. But in year way too damn many of Lance seven. Stroll, seven. It's year seven. It's year way too damn many of Lance. Year seven of the five-year plan for Lance Stroll. There's just nothing here that tells me that you are going to be any better than what you are now. And that is now a significant weight on Aston's championship aspirations when they also announced they're going to be Honda's factory partner for the 26 engine rigs. And to yes. that end, we talk about drivers who they just are what they are at this point. Roman Grosjean, the problem is that he has mm. never been slow. No, never. He's always Speed been was quick. never the issue. The, the issue sometimes is that he tames it. The problem with Roman Grosjean is that he does not, it's not that he doesn't care about his line of work. You know, he's set for life, but he loves racing. He goes racing because he loves it. Sometimes that passion is too much. And sometimes he took it out on the wrong people at Andretti Autosport. And that's the reason why Roman Grosjean, despite being not the worst driver at Andretti Autosport by a lot of means, you could make an argument that you could keep him even with his rough second half of the season. It's other factors that are the reason why he's no longer at Andretti Autosport. He lost it's his head. The fact that. It's the fact that Roman started the year off so quick, looking like he had all the confidence in the world and lost the opening round through no fault of his own. It was a fairly chicken shit move by by McLaughlin to basically you're not going to outbreak me or we're both going to crash. Well, they both crashed and Grosjean was the one who lost out on it. But a little adversity and a little adversity piled up to be a disastrous I'd say final three quarters. For the first quarter of the season, he was as good as anybody in IndyCar. Everything from the month of May forward was a disaster, and it cost him his spot in the sport. He only just got a ride. He only just got another ride basically at the end of the year with no one else to step into that seat. Yeah, Jinkos will be there, and Jinkos in canopy. I hope he likes getting abused by Argentinian fans. Dude, that's that's the other thing, too. It's just like... If if Callum Eilat was almost reportedly sacked for petulance during the 500 weekend, how is Ricardo Junkos going to handle Romain Grosjean if he has a bad day? But Dre, tell me about yes. Japanese bikes and MotoGP, because 10 years ago, these were the only bikes worth having. And now ten here years, we are. It's yeah, ten, ten years ago, you only won a MotoGP race if your bike was painted orange or blue. Um, and now we're in a situation where not only has Ducati become the dominant force in bike racing, they've also is also directly coincided with Honda and Yamaha completely missing the boat on MotoGP's direction as a sport towards aerodynamics and ride height devices. They've been last on the wagon with all these innovations, and it's now suffered to the point where Honda and Yamaha were fighting for wooden spoon honors in MotoGP this year. Yamaha 
remember, you, you got to remember, Yamaha was still second in the in the constructors' championship last year. Yamaha were were it's second from the bottom. The riders with yeah. Fabio for for about three quarters of the year. Yeah, because Fabio still carried them in 2022. This year, Fabio wasn't as good. The Yamaha was unrideable in terms of balance, and the Honda still stunk. And Mar- Marquez couldn't save them this year. Um, the, now the, the, I was, I'll put my hand up. I was wrong. They they got down. They put on. They put in the elbow grease, and they designed the motorcycle that Mark Marquez cannot override to victory. This is from Cam Buckley, who owns a vintage Honda racing jacket. It is one of the most Honda people that I know I own of. a vintage Honda motorcycle. <laughs> so when he's telling you that Honda has lost the plot, buddy, it's bad. They've lost I the don't plot. know how to approach this answer, though, because, well, Honda was already here. Yamaha's the this one that really got worse. That, yeah, Yamaha, and we could see it last year that really... Once Ducati got on top of the 2022 Desmo Sedici, they Yamaha were on borrowed time. Yeah, but everything about Yamaha this year was just cheeks—a loss of what made them great, and an exacerbation of everything that hurt them in the years leading up to this, and it all cascaded down on them at once. So, with that in mind, we've gone for three different selections here. RJ's gone for Mayor Shank. I went. I personally went for the Japanese downfall of MotoGP, and Cam went for Grosjean. Is there any movement I hear on the table? I think just in like this is Dre. I want to side with you on this one because yeah, this is a cataclysmic swap. I think it's good that more manufacturer that it's not just orange or blue. But now we're in a position where you're, the only red. way you're winning is if it's red, red underneath. Red, and red, we red. can talk about like how <laughs> they should, maybe they should peg Ducati back. Maybe they should peg the other guys back. But at some point, it's got to be on Honda and Yamaha to step their game up. And now Honda is going, not going to have the services of the best rider on the planet to help bail them out or help drive yeah, no, them The forward. best rider on the planet is now riding a bike that's red underneath. Good luck. Good luck to them. Yeah, good luck. Uh, the only them. reason why I can't pivot to make it unanimous is that I wouldn't call it a collapse when the collapse had already effectively come at the end of last year. Which is why we went kind of went with Japan as a whole. And yeah, understandable reasons, but with a two to one swing and the people's vote, because they got more nominees than anybody else did, Japan in MotoGP wins the secret base collapse award for an almighty horrible and this horribleness in 2023 uh next do better the, japan do better next on the board is the osw championship award for the best fight of the year be it on or off the track the nominees are racing versus stewarding nominated by yours truly um on that one uh generally speaking the battle against decent race officiated um we have alex polo versus zach brown um on the nomination pile more on that later i suspect <laughs> nick sanchez versus matt crafton in the nascar truck series the fall race at talladega the, this the, was the, not the fight that I thought was going to make the list out of NASCAR. Indeed. And Andretti versus FOM and all current F1 teams, which was the people's pick as well on this one. So I thought the fight making it out of NASCAR was going to be uh, Ross Chastain versus Noah Gragson and Cup to start off the season. 
I would have considered that, but Chastain swings like a bitch. So I, I decided not to nominate him uh, for that no, reason. Because if we're going to say swinging like a bitch, Matt Crafton sucker punched this dude in the back of the head. Matt Crafton yeah. is the definition of a bitch. Win a real ring and go the fuck home. Right. The problem is he did win a real ring by the parameters that the NASCAR Truck Series laid out. It's we not all a know real ring. Bullshit. It's not a what real ring. Call, what do you call Cubic this year's what do you call this year's championship? Cubic zirconia. I think that's more of a problem the Cup series, the Truck Series, than any one necessary driver. <laughs> yeah, this is the series that once did the caution clock. Enough about Matt Craft, and he's not worth our time. Let's um, go, Dre. Let's go with your pick. Uh, well, let's look, speak I, of it. I. How many times did I say across the, across twenty twenty three that I say I wished that um, Niels Wittich. Freddie Spencer and Carl Novak be locked into a room with a beehive and only one man would be allowed to leave um, because of how badly they have botched race officiating throughout 2023. And, and the rise of the phrase knock wappy as no one knows what a penalty is anymore because that was how I felt about most of 2023's racing and how badly it was handled by a lot of parties involved because... Freddie Spencer was getting death threats at the start of 2023. And don't get me wrong, I do not justify that in any way, shape, or form. But it, he was causing journos and media dudes to pull out their hair at how inconsistent he was at officiating MotoGP this year. Formula One generally wasn't as bad as I thought it could have been this year. I think generally they weren't as bad as they have been in years past. Yeah, but, but it's Formula One. Every every borderline decision is amplified by the social media space that we inhabit. Of course. Never helps. There was also the small matter of the 2023 Australian Grand Prix for two parts. Uh... One, the let's keep restarting this race and let's see if Max Verstappen actually loses mm -hmm. near the end. And two, the Alpines. Because if it was any other Alpine hitting another Alpine, oh, and hitting any other car, Pierre Gasly was all in, in the gym at 3 a.m., trying to get himself banned. Then they re then, then somebody had an epiphany. They realized... We don't think Jack Dewan is ready for this series. We got to show this guy some mercy. <laughs> we got to show this guy. Wait, he mercy hit his ruled. teammate? Okay, if you two kiss and make up, we won't penalize you for absolutely murdering half the grid via hitting your teammate first. <laughs> on, the subject of, and on the subject of dodgy restarts, IndyCar Race Control got it right at Texas, and they got it wrong at the Indianapolis 500. And I can say that knowing that my driver won the race and probably benefited from that. Directly and then benefited. After, and, and then also all of the wheel to wheel. All of it. The, I, I the like, sheer amount of fuck you, I'm taking this corner, and if you go off, that's on you. It peaked at Laguna oh, Seca. I like it was a little horrible. bit of roll. I like a little bit of rubbing in IndyCar. I like when they could bump a little bit, but not go crazy with that. Yeah, uh, stewarding in IMSA this year, ass. Hey, straight the, garbage. The funniest quote that I heard was from a senior steward at IMSA who said, I'm in the entertainment business. This was hours before the controversial collision between Felipe Albuquerque and people to Ronnie that decided the top last championship. 
Yeah. Some people, people thought Durrani that, that sent it into. Yeah. Pipo Durrani. Um, well, Philippe Albuquerque sends it around the outside. Pipo Durrani decides, hmm, going places like that wall over there. <laughs> Boff. Um, oh, so yeah, God, that's my Stu- overall look so at the bad. racing versus Stewart in pick. Um, I'm not going to talk about Alex Pillow versus Zach Brown for reasons as it's been nominated elsewhere and a more prolific award we'll get to shortly. But Andretti versus FOM is another one that's been kind of the story of 2023 for F1. I'm surprised this one didn't make the golden cock list because I understand that, you know, Formula One teams are entitled to protect their slice of the pie, but I have always been of the opinion that Formula One can make the pie bigger. They can order an extra large instead of having everybody split smaller slices of a large pizza. They've never been more profitable than they've been before. They can afford to have space for an 11th team and everybody gets an equal share of the money. What are you scared of? Andretti Autosport was terrible in IndyCar. You think you're going to steal your money? (laughs) All, all parties on this are, oh, uh, all Eddie parties Richard. on this are hilarious. Um, you have FOM. You have FOM, who seem to be making up a new reason every day, as Andretti meets the criteria that they say uh, they they set out, and then they immediately move the goalposts. Oh, you'll pay the two hundred million. Oh well, we want a billion. Oh well, you want a factory engine partner. Oh well. We want General Motors. They should be our engine manufacturer. And so on. Um, The FIA are more or less using Andretti as a political gambit to play games with FOM, while FOM is using them as a political gambit to play games with the FIA. Everyone looks like a right cunt in all of this. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, Andretti were an embarrassment to themselves and their championship pedigree over in IndyCar. That's what I'm saying. Like, you, you are is Haas really that certain that that team is going to come up and steal their lunch money when they're employing Devlin DeFrancesco for two full seasons? Right. Everyone looks like a clown out of this. Yeah, no one wins in this scenario. And Michael Andretti is currently sitting on Jenna Fryer's desk as we speak, venting, venting his spleen, likely saying, "Why won't they pick me, man? Why don't they love me like that?" Etc. And it, it's all a great big pile of mess. Now. Looking at the list here, RJ's pick didn't make it. My pick was racing versus stewarding. Cam picked Andretti. RJ, you have the power of the casting vote, potentially, if you want to take it. <laughs> Both of these rank decision. for me. Both of these <laughs> rank for me. So I'm gonna I'm gonna flip I'm gonna flip a United States penny. Oh shit. I got no, I got Abe Lincoln on one side. I got some capital building on another. If it's heads, it's racing versus stewarding. If it's tails, uh, it's Andretti versus FOM. Give me no okay. Landed on the floor. It is tails. Andretti versus FOM ah. and all the current F1 teams wins the uh, the OSW Review Championship. Boo. Boo. You all suck. Be better. Ugh. You Stop win this round, like a trust. <laughs> All right. Now it's time for, for the big one. our big awards. Our biggest awards, and we can start no further than the prestigious Falbon d'Or, a.k.a. The Golden Cock. The Golden Cock. 
given to the absolute worst of motorsport this year. And boy, howdy, there were a lot of nominations and stuff coming in even after the votes were closed. But these were the four finalists. They the are from the World are. Endurance Oh, no, Jack, you take it. From the FIA World Endurance Championship, my earlier selection for the uh, for the floppy, for the uh, participation cup, now nominated also for the Golden Cock, Van Wall Racing Team. From the Formula One World Championship, a uh, guy who is just part of a successful team, Helmet Marco. For, uh, also nominated for the Secret Base Collapse Award, Meyerchank Racing, specifically for the Cheating Sandal at the Rolex 24 Hours at Daytona, and... From the world of IndyCar, Zach Brown and Alex Pillow for contract-related shenanigans again. And if I'm being this honest, was and if I'm being honest, as any golden cock we have ever had before. This is a this is a time of multiple contenders, and I'll I'll, I'll start on this one. And for full disclosure, I originally voted for Mayor Shank Racing for their cheating during Daytona, but I'm actually going to change my mind and pivot mm. towards Helmet Marco. Um, Helmet Marco is everything wrong with the state of higher up Formula One, and he keeps getting away with it because for some reason he's untouchable in Red Bull's umbrella. And I can't stand, I mean, again, for those who don't know specifically why he made it in this year, it was his racist comments towards Sergio Perez. And that, you know, he said that Sergio Perez was South American and that they have a different mindset when it comes to racing which is just at best mildly xenophobic and unfortunately given helmet marco's reputation i refuse to give him the benefits of the doubt um this is a man who like I, I i question how necessary he is even needed to be in part of red bull setup they are the best team in formula one they have everything clicking on, on all cylinders and in the right place but Helmet Marco is a massive part of the reason why a lot of people don't like Red Bull. And I can't blame anybody for being that way inclined because of Helmet Marco's very presence on this team. Um, I, I, I'll let you know a little secret. I wrote a very fiery column I, I intended for WTF1 about Helmet Marco that sadly will likely never see the light of day. And the reason why is because the race was scared I was going to get a cease and desist letter on my door. That's how strongly I felt about Helmet Marco and his bullshit in 2023. The guy shouldn't be in an F1 paddock. He was very lucky he only got a code of conduct warning from the FIA in regards to what he did. But, but, then, the FIA, but then again, the FIA can do so much because he's virtually untouchable amongst not just Red Bull racing, but Red Bull as an overall entity. Because yes, he has played a vital contribution towards their success and the two all-time greats they've already had in their camp, as well as other great drivers like race winner Daniel Ricciardo in their own right. But he has outserved his usefulness at Red Bull Racing. And unfortunately, in a sport that claims it's trying to race as one, I cannot sit there in good faith as a sport and get down with the way this is when Helmut Marco is still in that paddock every other weekend. So for me, it's Helmut Marco. Wow. I mean, golly, that is massively persuasive. Again, this is in a deep field. I want to save a little. I want to save a little bit about Van Wall Racing Team. This is a team that you know. I understand why people like privateer efforts in sports car racing. I really do, but. 
Van Wall has, under any other name, by call us, call them what you will, they have, they have uh, not even accounting for the IP scandal from the, from the Van Wall 58, 1958 group that originally lays claim to the Van Wall name and trademark. It's the fact that on track, they deliver nothing. Off track, they are notoriously one of the worst entities to deal with. I mean, put it to you this way. Jacques Villeneuve should not have been hired at that job to begin with because like, he was woefully underperforming. And somehow, instead of just sacking the guy for underperformance, they just sacked him for other reasons and didn't bother to tell him. He found out through social media. They, they constantly turn some of the best drivers that they ever employ into irrelevant car looks nice but i mean they make gibson v8s fragile i, I don't know yeah, what else they, to they, they contribute nothing they did the uh they did the wec equivalent of making an ls engine unreliable i mean they couldn't even get full horsepower out of an engine that is the spec engine in lmp2 what yeah and oftentimes they were incapable of outpacing lmp2s which you can buy the three of us could pool the Patreon money together, get some more backing, and go buy an LMP2 car. And mm. we would beat Van Wall Racing. I do not like the uh, way Jim All they've Glicken. contributed. RJ, what have they contributed to sports car racing? Besides ha-ha, funny car on fire. Not much else. Not like, much else probably, in a long time. They're probably a money laundering scheme, given what we know about the inner workings of that team. Um, and I don't understand how they get any investors. I don't understand how they get any money through because they reek. I do not like how Jim Glickenhaus and his team carried themselves for a lot of their time in WC, but I can always say they stood on the podium at Lamont and punched relatively above their weight. What has Colin Calls gonna, done in a much longer time? If you were going to run a privateer effort, minus the, the blustering and the talking shit and the bitching about the rules 24-7, on track, Glickenhaus delivered what you'd expect out of a good yep. privateer operation. Mm -hmm. Van Wall isn't even here to make up the numbers. And when they have a car finish, when they have a car finish a race, we'll come and talk to them. Meyer Shank Racing. Yeah, we talked about it. For this, I just feel I don't even real feel angry. I just feel I feel bummed. Just sad. This feel a like but they're a likable team. team. They're a likable entity. They genuinely they are. Were, they're the backbone. The of these. They're part of the backbone of the series. Yeah, they were one of the ones who were there um, through the days of Grand Am. During the, of course, there was an American sports car split, just as there was an Indy car split long ago, and they were one of the staples of Grand Am and then the combined series. They, you know, brought they brought in Ford in something resembling a factory effort before they brought Honda back in as a factory effort and they brought the sport into disrepute by not yeah. only cheating via tire pressure modifications and then tampering with the monitoring systems, which means that they should have been disqualified with the system by which IMSA could have found the cheat was also tampered with, which is the only reason why they got to keep their win is that they made sure IMSA couldn't find the cheat until it was so far after the race that IMSA couldn't do anything about it. And I think about some of the people caught in the crosshairs of this. Tom Blomquist will continue to have a prolific racing career in IndyCar. Hopefully he can help lead the turnaround. But I think if someone like 
Colin Braun, who worked for years to get another opportunity in the top class, and now he has to get kicked down to LMP2 for something that wasn't his fault. And Cam, one of the last racing memories of Simon Paginot is going to be winning a tainted race. Mm, That's Simon really Paginot's probable. I mean, all things considered, we haven't heard anything out of him, which concerns me as far as next year. There is a possibility that Simon Paginot's last professional win was in a car that was not just a little bit illegal, but catastrophically with intent illegal. No, this wasn't a product of a lone wolf, because it couldn't be if you apply the slightest of logic to it. And it also brings questions over their entire championship-winning 2022 season. From what I've heard, this was strictly about Daytona. And I hope, I sure hope, that I've heard heard it on both sides from those who would know that this might have been just Daytona. This might have been all of 22. And we'll never know. We'll We'll never never know. know, But here's what we we do know. Here's what we do know, though. First of all, they're out of IMSA as a result. Honda, Honda burned them down. Second of all, Honda still supplies their engines. Yeah, they supply their engines in IndyCar. That relationship is permanently damaged. I they're never going to get the big support again. I hope that Meyer Shank Racing finds their way back to IMSA under better circumstances. I really, I hope it was worth it. That's all I'll say. I hope it was worth losing your entire operation. And and then. Alex mm-hmm. Pillow versus Zach Brown for contract related again. This one to me is just funny. <laughs> yeah. It's it, just like, funny. Look, Alex Pillow is an extraordinarily talented racing driver. He has charisma. He has swagger. He is, should be one of the faces of the sport going forward. But he has never seen a contract he didn't wipe his ass with. <laughs> I mean, look. Pillow is one of the all-round good people in in motorsport in general. I've heard nothing but glowing endorsements of the sort of character and person that he is. But he's also a dumb bitch for how he handled this contract. You can't do what you're doing, Alex Polo. You sign a contract, it's normally final. And you can't just fold your arms up and have a strop when things don't go your way. Anyone with half a brain cell could have read the room and said, in the eyes of Zach Brown, you're not that guy. Oscar Piastri's that guy. And and annoyingly, he was right to believe so. And not as annoying. And look, I am not completely ignoring the fact that Zach Brown flirts with every motherfucker within 10 foot Zach of him. Zach Brown has a huge part to play in this by basically throwing napkin contracts to whoever will listen. Golden but when you sign the, the dotted line... Yeah. He yeah. signed the dotted line. He signed the contract and got cold feet. And it looks like the only reason why he's probably going to get away with it overall is because he's so good that Chip Ganassi's basically willing to go to bat for him. Not just yeah. Chip Ganassi. DHL, one of, he, a top sponsor from a rival team, is going to apply some salve to any potential legal fees that may come of this. Oh, and by the way, it's, it's silly. DHL, DHL, basically going Andretti. You ain't that guy. 
in their press release about signing with Ganassi. There's so much tea here. Herbal and verbal. I... What Alex Pillow has done is silly, but I... I can't think of it as just, like, a total disgrace to the sport. Now, Helmut Marco, on the other hand, what does he do? What does he do other than make you know what he's one worth. of the best teams unlikable? You know why? You know why he's always going to have a fucking job here? Because he is always worth a controversial clickbaity article. Because he will all he will he has never had a racist remark he wouldn't say. He has never had a bullshit just generalization of a situation in F one that he won't blurt out. And the media companies lap it up and it gets the clicks and it keeps him around. And no one's going to take him to task for it. Oh, congratulations. You discovered the talents of Sebastian Vettel, who was already that guy, Max Verstappen, who was being hyped up when he was in carts. Congratulations. You have such an eye for talent that clearly nobody else does. Yeah, you have such an eye for talent that you signed blatantly the wrong guy off a single performance, then fired him after half a year. And then still put the wrong guy in anyway, because as much as Daniel Ricardo was good, and Daniel Ricardo is probably going to have a great 2024, provided AlphaTauri doesn't build another sled. Mm-hmm. AlphaTauri, formerly. Um, Liam Lawson should probably be your guy. And instead, he gets to sit on the sidelines for another year. What do you do, Helmet? I'm going to borrow a phrase here from uh, from James Darnell of the famous Deadlock Pro Wrestling Podcast. I'm going to turn my volume down because I know some people get complaints about it. Get out of our company! Get out of our company! <laughs> Look, he's got to go. What, do you, and... what is it that you do? Um, yeah. You have no place. You have no place in the sport. You have no place in the paddock. You have no place in polite conversation, you racist fucking prick. Get Gen- out of our company. Get Gen- out of my company. Gen- gentlemen's agreement, we, we will move over. Yeah, I think we, you know, Michael. You got away with one, boy. You got away with this one, you cheating motherfucker. Spoiler <laughs> alert. You, you and Cam you, it both took, originally said Maya Shank. Mm. It took a brazenly racist cunt to topple you. You know, Jim. Maybe Motors- we were too harsh upon you. Motorsport games didn't even get to take the finals. Can we? Can we also all? We need to go through the uh, lo- the in memoriam, the honorable mention shortlist here of Golden Cock nominees that tried. They tried to bat down the door, I and we just closed it a little bit too early. IndyCar is on the road to hell right now. They're probably going to lose Honda in 26. Me. <laughs> so you, damn it, R, RJ is... Uh, y'all can't see this, but RJ is... Uh, I, I'm so glad you're part of this, RJ. IndyCar... Uh, I mean, you have Motorsport weird. Games. who Most. Motorsport Games, who put out a grand total of zero products this year and zero products last year proceeded to lose every contract they have besides the Lamar contract that they'll probably lose anyway. Uh, hey, did you hear the bail yes, loss coming to Lamar Ultimate? Yes, Penske cheated. Uh, Wolf yes, Gazi. Penske cheated. 
Ghazi Witch. God, if we could backport one. um, Yeah, getting the track inspected three days before the race. Also, the lack of visas. Um, Carlos Sainz almost being killed in Las Vegas via one of 30 errant drain covers. That was a long oh. list of potential names here. Noah Gragson's Noah continued existence. <laughs> yeah, Noah Gregson. Um, Cody Ware. Oh, God. We forgot Fucking about him. Hell. This was an uh, all-time bad year for individual bullshit in motorsport. I've never had a Ballon d'Or <laughs> nomin- or a Fallon d'Or nomination list as bad as this. But Helmut Marco. I can dishonorably say wins the 2023 Motorsport 101. You suck. Get out of our company. Just go away. You're not the president. You are the Val Venus of Formula One. Just (laughs) go away. I don't need you anymore. Go away. Right. The two big awards of the year. Now we get to the big ones. I say that. Okay. I would say three at this point, because we do tend to put these two for a combined overall athlete of the year. But let's be frank, it's all going to the driver's side this year. So let's get the bike racer award out of the way. The Jason Dupasquier Award for the Rider of the Year. The nominees are Jorge Martin, the MotoGP Championship runner-up. Mark Marquez for somehow surviving Honda in 2023. That's a very brave nomination from three of you. Um, the 2023 World Superbike Champion Alvaro Bautista is on the list. And finally, the MotoGP World Champion going back to back, Francesco Bagnaia. So Jorge Martin, Mark Marquez, Alvaro Bautista, and Francesco Bagnaia. Um, we talked about Martin already uh, for yeah. earlier on in the show. Can we also say he, also, he almost like, in the grand scheme almost. of things, he said some dumb stuff. He said some really dumb stuff to end the season off, but, you know, at least he sincerely apologized for it. <laughs> Putting it yeah. below the top 25 of the previous awards list. But writing-wise, not much. You can see, no, I mean, the guy was God in sprints. The guy was so damn fast. Um, The fastest man individually across the year for most of the year. Um, Hell of a rider bike to bike as well. However, we talked about it pretty extensively on the MotoGP season review. Still a bit of a messy bitch. Mm. And it was a very winnable title that he... Well, he focused on just about everything but the riding down the stretch, and he paid the price for it. Right. Mark Marquez, I'm sure, still has the ability. Even, we I, saw can, him in the first... even I can't get there with no. this one. I mean, look. Yeah. And Mark, like... and, and, and Mark, tr- Mark tried too hard. Yeah. For much of that. I mean. He's too low he for his did... own good. Yeah. He, he just, there was nothing to be gotten from this year. And I do think, I do think he took a step back and reevaluated after the horrendous showing in Saxon Ring, where he not only crashed yeah. six times, broke ribs, but I think that was... Uh, Dre and I are in pretty much agreement on this. That was the inflection point of the end. Agreed. Of Mark Marquez and Honda. Yeah. Um, still, still an extraordinary rider, but this was not the year. Yeah. Alvaro Bautista. Now, this is an interesting one. 
Yeah, because he tapered off at the back half of a dominant season. He still had a lot to win the championship, but it turns out it wasn't just that he bottled it. He was also riding hurt for the back half of the year. Yeah, multiple slip discs. Uh, we actually don't know what his status is going into 2024, but that is a horrendous injury due to the nerve pain involved. Um, that's why it, he was it, basically yeah. a non-factor. In, uh, but it's also worth one... pointing out that despite yeah. that, he won the final eight races of the season. I would say I would say he didn't really fall off. Like falling off is relative. I think Ray and Toprak rallied late, but there just wasn't much that they could do. Um, because we know the Kawasaki is kind of a mess, and we know the Toprak already had a foot out the door with Yamaha. They then swap places for next year. Good lord, Ray on a Yamaha. Never thought I'd see the day. That's weird. Do you know how many times Top Rack Razgatioglu finished second in World Superbikes last season? Way too 20. damn many. He was, all, he was all the consistency. And Alvaro if anything, probably undone. Probably undone by a catastrophic tire failure that was not that just a random rear tire delamination. I'm amazed Top Rack kept the bike going. It, it, it wouldn't have mattered. Alvaro Bautista is so goddamn good, and it's not just because Ducati has a stupidly good Panigale superbike. He's the only person he, who can win on it. He he is no other Ducati rider won a race in World Superbikes this year, but him. He is him. He is a special talent, and he has unlocked the full potential of the Panigale V4, uh, an all-time great superbike. Um, and Toprak is an incredible talent and an incredible rider. He's a guy that, in my opinion, should be in MotoGP, but is not, and probably will likely never get the opportunity. But Alvaro Bautista is an incredible bike rider, and he has already now become an all-time Superbikes great and quite possibly put together the greatest season that World Superbikes has ever seen. He won 27 races this year in World Superbikes. 27. That's impossibly great. And that is up against Jonathan Ray, capital everything him. Yeah. And Top Rack, who was riding the handlebars off the Yamaha, which let's not forget, has been, the R1 has not really seen a major platform update right since 2015. It's an old bike. Old but gold, but still old at this point, the R1. Um, but above them, I mean, when it was close, because it was closer than you'd think looking at the results, mm -hmm. Bautista held his nerve. He did. And he won multiple knockdown drag-out fights between himself, the greatest world superbike rider of the modern age, Jonathan Ray, and him, Top Rack. And so that, those three, yeah, I think, those three I went think to about, war. Yeah. I think about Pecco in that regard. He was messy at times last year, on and off the track. This is the most complete version that we've seen of him. Agreed. Uh, he was a much better representative of MotoGP the second time around as a champion. He had to fight for everything to win that championship against the likes of Jorge Martin and Marco Bezzecchi. He wasn't always the fastest. And sometimes he did have the dropsies, but he had less of the dropsies than before. And it was just better in the Grand Prix when it really, really mattered. He's now he back to back. Clutch. He had that clutch gene. And think, and, I brought it up, I bring it up again. Just think of where they were nine years ago. Romano Fanati was the darling of the sky of ER46 Academy and MotoGP. And Francesca Bagnaia is expendable. Now look where they are. 
Funny so, how that yeah. works, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny how um, these things God, turn out. look at Ducati nine years ago. Right. Claiming teams. Cla- claiming world teams. Open team. class. Good God. Open class. Um, um, overall, and I'll get you on the little secret mm. here, RJ went for Banyaya. Me and Cam both went for Bautista. <laughs> I'm not prepared to budge. budge on this one. I'm I not going to budge. budge. I, so, I think... And it's, not, and it's not a uh, it's not a strike against Peko. <laughs> However, Bautista in the face of two absolutely world-class riders not only went to war with them and won, he went to war with them and beat their asses. The greatest World Superbike season of all time. 27 wins along the way to do it. Um, beating two other Ooh. all-time World Superbike breaks in Top Rack and Jonathan Ray to do it. Um, yeah, our rider of the year, the Jason Dubasquier Award winner, Alvaro Bautista. Yeah. I don't know what's happening right now. This is for you. <laughs> right. Now, not only am I going to safely say this is our driver of the year award, but also our overall athlete of the award winner, because let's be honest, if you have been paying attention to anything in motorsport this year, it was always going to come down to these two. Uh, The overall award for driver of the year and the Motorsport 101 athlete of the year, the nominees are Jake Dennis, the Formula E world champion for 2023, who deserves an honorable mention because he was fantastic in Formula E this year. Um, Ritomo Miata, the double Super GT and Super Formula champion of 2023, just the sixth man in history to win the double across Japanese motorsport this year, and the youngest ever to do so. Alex Polo, the 2023 IndyCar Series champion, one of the greatest IndyCar seasons ever seen. The first man in 15 years to win the series early. Um, And Max Verstappen, the now three-time Formula One world champion of 2023. Um, And, well, nothing short of saying the greatest F1 statistical season we've ever seen from from a driver ever. We'll give a quick honorable mentions to Jake Dennis. Jake Dennis was yeah. superb in Formula E this year, and I'm glad he made the shortlist because he was worthy of it, most certainly. he It was a loaded Formula E field this year, but when Jake Dennis got it cooking in the back half of the year, he was untouchable. Just superb and just ground a talented field down the stretch. And look, Nick He's, Cassidy... He just and, pointed them to death. That's yeah, what, that Cassidy was how he admit, won this yeah. title. Yeah, the two fastest dudes in Formula E this year overall for me were Nick Cassidy and Mitch Evans, but Jake Dennis just racked up podiums all year long and racked up points. The two of them were screwing around on the back half of the, of the field, back mm. half of the year, and yeah, Jake just... If you finish, and you keep finishing well, and the other guys aren't, that's going to get you places, and I mean Cassidy and Evans also torpedoed themselves in the final two rounds you know what i liked i think back in 2020 21 nick devries won a bar fight of a championship that was just crazy almost too crazy but there was a feeling that that title could have and should have been jake dennis's and this time the one that got away came back and that's not bad for a guy who has had quite the barnstorming career from single seaters 
the sports cars. I mean, how many how many China GT championship to FI world champion success stories are we ever going to see in motorsport? Kim, you know him as the guy that got bullied by Matt Campbell in the last pre-COVID Bathurst 12 hour. You're damn right. But man. The stolen Scotty. I'm still mad. Stolen Scotty. <laughs> still, still maybe the best pass I've ever seen in any form of motorsport. Indeed. Um, um, yeah. But Dennis was brilliant. RJ. I mean, RJ, you got you got to talk about Ritomo Miata. Nobody can sell it better than you can here out of the three of us. Ritomo Miata, when he won the Super GT Championship just a week after winning the Super Formula Championship, he said, I've won everything there is to win Japan. Because he was a karting champion, he won the Formula 4 title twice, which apparently in the FIA Formula 4 championship you can't do out in Europe. He was Super Formula Lights champion, now he's Super G Formula and GT500 champion. He has nothing left to prove in Japan, and that's why he's graduating. It's not a step up. Going from Formula Super Formula F2 is not a step up in competition. Going for GT500 European Le Mans... It's not a step up in the competition. He just wants to do it because he wants a new challenge. And I say all the power to him in that. He's one of the most important athletes uh, for anybody who is neurodivergent, neurospicy, however you want to describe it, who has ever been told that you don't have a place in motorsport, don't have a place in society. This guy is a role model of everything right about People like ourselves achieving incredible things. He doesn't race to be a case for awareness. He's just someone that is who he is, and he's one of the best drivers in the entire world at it. There is no doubt in my mind, good health and opportunities willing, this is a future world endurance champion. This is a future 24 average Le Mans winner. If Toyota ever got the urge to get back into Formula One, this is a future Formula One caliber driver. And he's only going to get better as time goes on. I am so excited to see this dude race at Daytona. <laughs> it's going to be right. Yeah. He just won two championships at the absolute highest level of competition against two stacked fields. Against someone who stepped into a Formula One car and scored points with it in his third race. In a car that really wasn't capable of scoring points all that often this year. He beat that guy. He's pretty good. What? What guy? That guy. But let's be honest here. We we I think we it's all know deep race. down. It's a two man race here, and it's a surprisingly simple, similar voting here. Yeah, twelve versus thirteen on the, the nomination. People had it thirteen twelve in Max Verstappen's favor. I could tell you that between the three of us, I have Alex Polo. Cam had. Max Verstappen and RJ had Rotomo Miata. I was the now, guy, and I'm willing to fall on my sword and say I don't. I at least want to make sure he got recognized. Okay, I and know that's who's going to valid. I know who are number one and number two on this list, and that means I'm probably the swing vote here. <laughs> now, for me, the difference maker for me is that IndyCar is a series you're not supposed to dominate. Everything in its power, everything Designed in its structure and design you. is supposed to go against what drivers like Scott Dixon, what Joseph Newgarden, and many others in the past have done. Dominate this series. Alex Pillow was him all 
year long. I've been watching IndyCar for almost a decade now on a full-time level. Alex Polo had the single greatest IndyCar season I've ever seen, where he was a continual threat to win everything. Everything that moved. The only thing he wasn't dominant on was ovals, and even then he found ways of generating short great results. Like the short, short ovals, Because yeah. let's not forget, right? He was running in the top five in Texas on dead tires. Right. He turned Scott Dixon's record qualifying run at the 500 from last year into history because <laughs> he went faster. He has My no dude was an unstoppable winning machine. And even when he wasn't winning, he was still pointing the field to death. It's like saying Alex Pillow is deficient at short ovals because he only has a 90 in that stat instead of a 99. <laughs> My dude curb stomped an all-time great Scott Dixon season. What does that say? It says everything. It's like, Matt, Matt, like Scott Dixon had another incredible IndyCar season. He had he was hotter than fish grease, as Cam would say, to end the year. Won three out of the final four, um, and he still lost the championship by the better part of a hundred points. He was obliterated. The grit. We have our heir to the ten. Yeah, definitively, all, truly, all the contract silliness. I'd say it's worth the problem it. is he's so good that he's worth it. Yeah, he's worth the hot mess. He really is. But you know, he's not contractually hot mess, Cam. But you know, no, no, just this guy's good. locked down for a while. Um, well, Formula One is the opposite. And Formula One is designed to be dominated by those who get it right. And yet in all the eras of dominance, all the great cars, all the great teams, no one has ever been as dominant as Max Verstappen was in 2023. He rewrote every record that was there to write. Most of them he wrote last year. When the car was up to scratch, he used it to robotic precision and destroyed the field. When the car was maybe just that step off, he stepped up and pushed it over the line. And that one race that they lost, well, he still finished fifth after basically being nowhere all race and then carving up through the field on fresh tires. Mm. Um, I mean, all that's really left is like the Grand Slam record, and I'm pretty sure if he breaks that, Zoe will actually cease to be. She'll, she'll, she'll set yeah. herself on fire. Uh, av his average now. finish on the year was 1.27, according to one 1.27. You know, you know, then it goes alongside an even more terrifying contrast. Do you know what Max Verstappen's average finish has been since the start of 2021? Go in on. 1.6, 1. 1.69. Nice. nice. It's been 1.69 for the last three years. That is That's unholy. How, that is how terrifyingly good Max Verstappen is. He is having the, he's had the greatest three-year run in the history of, of Formula One, in my humble he's opinion. He's had Ayrton Senna's statistical career in the last three years, minus the pole positions. They are These two, and even I know, because they had it as a minor spoiler, but even I could have guessed that Alex Polo and Max Verstappen were one and two in the Autosport Top 50, and rightly so. 
um, there was no possible argument for me that anybody else could have breached that top two. And it was always going to come down to these top two for me. The for real me, fun is guessing 50 through three. More on that later in the more on that in 2024. But look, yuck. For me, I went Polo because IndyCar is a series that's meant to beat the ever-loving piss out of you to win a championship, and Polo was him the whole way through. Polo never looked like he was going to lose that championship after the 500. And as Zoe quite rightly puts in the chat, and I was going to bring this up and point it out, there is no scene in IndyCar funnier in 2023 when Joseph Newgarden did the double in Iowa turned behind him and saw that Alex Pillow had finished third in Iowa and he and he could do nothing but look in shock that Pillow had finished third, knowing he had a short track oval weakness, knowing that Penske had completely dominated in that backyard all weekend long. And that was just the, we can't beat this guy uh, notification of the year. So for me, I'm going to say Alex Pillow because I, again, Verstappen has been incredible, and this is by no means a diss on Verstappen, whose season was utterly unbelievable. But for me, I don't think we will ever see an IndyCar season quite like that from Alex Polo ever again. I think for the sake of the sanity of most people on the internet, I, I hope we don't see a season out of Max like this one again. And yet, given that this car was basically a cut-and-shut lightened RB18, and they were putting all the resources into the 20, could he go better next year? It's not inconceivable. Is that possible? And that's a, that a terrifying thought. I don't know. I, 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 cannot, I cannot waver from a 1.27 and a... I mean... Now let's remember. For the races... Alex Pillow the, is one of your dudes. And Alex Pillow is my dude in IndyCar, given he's that we dude. have... He's our he's, dude. He's, he's the dude who we watched him win that abhorrent condition race in Fuji and went, what is he? He just showed up here and he just did that to this field. What have we just watched? We witnessed the, the arrival of one of the modern superstars. And yeah, yet. But, and yeah, I could easily come back and counter and say, Alex Pillow's average finish this year was 3.7. In a series I mean, where that is designed to stop you from doing that. Let, let's Gosh. be real here. RJ, you've got the casting vote because me and Cal might budge in on this one. Mm. It's on you, mate. You you make the call. Who Who's your driver well, of the year? Before I make my selection... Thank you for listening in. We've been uh, we've been going for two and a half hours strong. We really appreciate your support yeah. and your, throughout not just today, but the entire 2023 season through what's been a very tough year for a lot of us. You may have I'm known that Dre got another job, a big boy job, and we're <laughs> sad that he lost the job that he had, and we're hopeful that he will pick up something just as good, if not better, because you are too good to be working full-time at the bookies. Bless you, you are, home, you, are ble you are so good in that. And Cam... I love you. Sometimes I want to grab you by the neck sometimes, but you know what? You are oh, also oh, very, likewise. You are, you are also very good at what you do. And what do you I know, do? I just talk about racing full time somewhere. I know this because like I've been grateful enough to do this. And, and, and anyway, also the people are the lifeblood of the show. We've had, 
We've been grateful to grow our audience. I know it's by a little, but every little bit helps. So thank you very much. We appreciate you. Honestly, from the bottom of our heart, we appreciate you all. Thank you all so much. It's been an honor and a privilege to be able to keep doing this. And do not get me wrong. Like I said before, I've not had the best of years professionally. But what I will say is, is that this is my home. This is my life and soul. And I love every episode I get to do with these fine gentlemen right here. And that will likely never change. I got chopped open back in uh, back in March. That was fun. That's Hopefully, I don't have that in 2024. Well, I, got to, I got to meet RJ in the face, you know, in, in person, and it was just as delightful as you'd expect. It was wonderful. We, we, we got uh, Fine Dining, aka Five Guys in the United K, which actually is great for the exchange on my side. Anyway, I digress. Motorsport101.com for all of our stuff. Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Facebook and Motorsport 101, Instagram Motorsport 101 Pod. I get these plugs out of the way because Please now wrap I've got it the up. final. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I love me some Alex below. And I love me some Matt Verstappen. I do. You know, it admittedly, like, is no longer the rookie that I first fell in love with. Neither but he's also. Are. But. <sighs> They're now established. You know how weird it is? These two are established? Yeah. They're both superstars. I... I have to go in my heart of hearts with something that is going to be remembered for for all time. I'm going with Matt Verstappen winning the Formula One World Championship with one of the greatest seasons that we've ever seen. I know it's possible that he can match. I don't think it's Look. possible. There is there is a sim a single sentence that you can put a bow on this with. The indomitable McLaren Honda MP44 was dethroned. Genuinely, and look, I, I'm going to be real with you. It was dethroned as the great, the example of Formula One excellence has changed hands. It is now blue with yellow and red accents. And look, I pulled for Polo as much as the next guy here. I have no problem conceding this one whatsoever. Max Verstappen had the single greatest F1 season that's ever been seen by anyone ever, and we are unlikely to ever see anything like it ever again. It's the perfect way to sum it up. It, 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 like Even I can... I pulled for Alex, and I know a lot of you in the chat did. I know a lot of you who nominated I for him. For um, and look, again, this is no disrespect to Jake Dennis and Ritomo Miata, who were worthy of making the nomination list in their own right, 100%. But Max Verstappen, the Motorsport 101 driver and athlete of the year for 2023. And yeah, can't argue with that whatsoever. Um, A very, very worthy winner. We've been going now for 160 minutes nearly, and uh, it's, it's, it's like the old school Motorsport 101's come back for the week. Um, this is going to be a fun to edit, let me tell you. But uh, Riverside normally says, Oh hey, God, uh, that's Adam been- Johnson with a steel chair. um some some closing words it's been a crazy year i think in just about every sense for 2023 on the track off the track in the greater world it's been an absolutely bonkers year and in a year where a lot of us didn't have stability this audience 
has been my stability. The, the audience that has kept me sane, the audience that has reminded me why I love to do this despite times being tough in 2023, especially for me on a personal level. Um, I just want to say, because obviously I, I have the honor of being able to wrap this up a lot of the time, that it's been a crazy year, but you guys have been the constant that makes this show tick, that makes my passion for motorsport tick. I, I, I've mentioned it in other places. I'll say it here again. I thought 2022 was going to be my last year doing this, but that's no longer the case because you guys reminded me why this show is worth doing. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all the support and for all the kind words and for listening to, God, over over 70 shows this year in our ninth year of existing as a podcast um it's gonna it's gonna be the decade in october next year which is just terrifying that we've done 10 why years. is this school project not turned in yet i don't it's know 10 years late it's still here um and just yeah i, 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 I want to give fun- a shout out as well yeah um i want to shout out jason uh one of our yes, supporters absolutely. in the chat who helps helps put this together he handles the nominations and the voting procedure for us um also this is my 250th show i don't know why i'm still here Uh, my family's still locked in the fish room um we'll get them out (laughs) eventually but um i don't have a journalism degree i just like talking about racing and that's all we need You 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 sickos give me a platform i don't know what you were thinking um also shout out to riverside fm who that's how we record this, and my God, have y'all made it easier on us? A tremendous program. I do highly recommend it. It's done a phenomenal job all year long, and again, the best thing we ever did on this show was King moving us over on here because it's made editing this show a breeze compared to the old days. Let me tell you. Yeah, um, shout out to the world's stuff. greatest super sub, Ryan Eric King, who and Ryan is, Eric uh, King. he's gone to part time duty. He's mm-hmm. uh, it's late stage Bill Elliott hours. Yes, but we still appreciate him. Indeed, he's been wonderful all year long. And again, shout out to all our fans, shout out to all our friends, shout out to the Motorsport 101 Discord, who have become my second family, especially over the course of this year, more than ever before. All our Patreon backers who choose to back us financially, that you genuinely think we're worth giving money to every month, is the greatest honor you could ever bestow. We're worth your money, apparently, which is wild to even consider. But that is a wonderful feeling to know that you still back us. Many of us have been backing us now for six, seven, eight years financially, which is just wild that we're worth it to you. But, but thank you all so much. Um, have a wonderful 2024. Um, a happy new year to everyone. because This is, is going to go out on most likely on New Year's Day. So have a wonderful 2024, whatever it is you choose to do. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy. Um, reach out to your loved ones. Tell them you love them um, because you never know when their time might be cut short. Look after yourselves. Look after each other. And we'll talk a little bit more motorsport probably next week. We've got a Formula E season to preview. Isn't that wild? Um, oh, we're right yeah. back into it. We're right back into it next week because Formula E starts in two weeks time in Mexico City. But from me, Dre Harrison, from RJ O'Connell and from Cam Buckley, from the 8th Annual Motorsport 101 Awards, thank you so much for listening in 2023 and we'll see you on the other side. Thank you very much for listening. Good night! And for those of you who are racing fans out there, do yourselves a favor. Look up the 2000 California lap. 
Preston Power, Jill DeFerrin.